Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. Yeah, I'm into that lately. 442? No, 432. 32. Take it down. Oh, sure. Yeah, but it's supposedly like it makes the sound waves more symmetrical. Like it's more like this universal frequency. Right. Apparently. Well, you know the thing about like the the heavy German classical composer world. Right. They were the first ones to really start fucking with the... They took it to 440, I guess. Well, they're the ones that locked it at 440. Right. As standard. Yeah. And then they started taking it higher. Yeah, okay. 42, 44. And the singers started to go nuts. Right. Hey. This is hard enough to sing yeah. already. <laughs> yeah. I can't 444. You out of your mind? Yeah, you're out of your mind. You know? Huh. I wonder what got them doing that. Well, because the uh, the sound. It was like nicer or something. And the fiddle's really cut. I you see. Know? Yeah. You're too much. I'll tell you a funny story. You know Bill Monroe. The Who? Bill Monroe, the bluegrass mandolin player. Kind of like the father of bluegrass music, Okay. Right? Yeah. So he... Uh, you know, he was this like legendary guy, mm-hmm. Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, right? Uh-huh. So many years ago, I'm out on the road with somebody, and we're in Milwaukee in the middle of the night. We're at the truck stop, and I see Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys bus pulls. Uh huh. Well, they had it like written on the side. Written on the side, you know, <laughs> blue and white. Those guys, like they, they, they would do that. Paid like, advertisement you know, for those guys. Yeah, know? exactly. So <laughs> I see it's like three o'clock in the morning, you know. But I see some of the guys getting off the bus. So I go down and I start talking to them and they were telling me that the way they would tune up before a show, all acoustic instruments, you mm-hmm. know, uh, uh, mandolin, banjo, double bass, guitar, maybe double bass. And you play that too, don't you? You play. I play different things with strings. Right. So I try. Yeah. I don't think I would rent myself out as a, as a big bass player, but yeah. Electric bass, I, I do work with. Anyway, the guys are telling me that the way they would tune on any given night was Bill would come in, he'd tune his mandolin to his to ear, his ear. Just... and start playing and go, tune up, you know, and they'd have to tune. And sometimes it would be real high. Right. Really high. The guys that sang high harmony were like, that's so hard already. Yeah. They and could, now yeah. he's got us, you know, a step and a half up. Yeah. You know, A is B now. Uh huh. Or B and a half, yeah. you know? And it was funny. So, I think yeah. that chaos in the tuning world makes for better soulful music. It can be like, very cool. All that bendy stuff yep. and like, you know, like if it's too, if it's too perfect. Oh yeah, some of the greatest records ever. Yeah, like the when you Dylan really listen to it. Oh, like so, tuning, so on. many of them. Like the bass mistakes that get left in are my, right? they become your favorite thing. Like you start waiting for it. Oh wait, here comes the bass mistake. The bass doesn't follow the chord here. You know what? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, Subterranean homesick blues, uh-huh. right? The Dylan song, Jonathan in the basement, mixing up the medicine. Yeah. I'm on the pavement. There's a tremendous bass mistake in there. Uh huh. Because because the verses it's a blues mm-hmm. basically, but the verses are odd. Right. You know, some yeah. some of them got extra lines. Right, and the, he, so you just and he's probably them. improvising to a degree. Maybe or maybe. I mean, uh, at least the band didn't know when he was. Band didn't switch. know when he was gonna go. Right. And there's, there's also on like a Rolling Stone, uh-huh. the big famous, yeah. you know, giant single, 
there's there's a there's serious bass clam on that. Yeah, for real. But it was a great take, and they left it in. Yeah, I just love that they left it in because they could have fixed it probably. Even then, maybe not. I don't know. In those days, you know, it was like maybe. or just no because of overdubs. I mean, it's still mu- it went to a multi-track. It wasn't live to right. half inch or no. some shit, right? I mean, not, not by then it it was at least four tracks. It was at you know. least yeah, uh, but. It was everybody playing in a room. Right. So the so bleeding, the, bleed. the bass sound was on there. Bass sound was I on the drum you. track. That's interesting. Yeah. So even if they right. tried yeah, to yeah. fix it, the <laughs> would have still been Would have been weird. Yeah. <laughs> so they just left it. They just left it. Because <laughs> I only, you know, like freak musicians hear it, but regular people don't hear it. They I hear never the feel. Heard it. Yeah. No, regular I'm people. I'm going to go listen to it. Yeah. Or just when you hear it, you then you think, okay, that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. We, and it becomes how you it's get supposed used to, to it. be. It becomes iconic. It would, it would be. It becomes iconic. Yeah. It's weird. But so, like, because how long did you tour with Dylan? Um, well, steady, like almost without going home for two years from '88 yeah. up into the end of '90, and then two more years of in and out, off and on okay. stuff. And the last thing I did with him was that. They did this big show at Madison Square Garden, the 30th anniversary on Columbia Records. Okay. And pretty much everybody, like from Johnny Cash to Chrissy Hind, was mm-hmm. on that show. Right. You know? So that was real interesting, that particular one. Yeah. Because I was a music, musical director yeah. on it. And uh, I figured that I'd get to put together a great band, you know, because we got this corporate budget. Right, we okay. got the Columbia budget, right? So we can hire everybody that we need <laughs> and pay them, pay them correctly. Yeah. yeah, you know, and uh, we did. We put together a really good band. But then um, Jeff Kramer, the manager, handed me a a sheet of paper with everybody who was going to be on the show, their names and their phone numbers. Uh-huh. This is before like texting and stuff. This is '92, okay. right? So These most are landlines. People, most people weren't doing it. It's little landlines, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like call these people up and see what song they want to do. Oh god, what Bob song do they want to do? Uh-huh. So I figure, oh no, I'm gonna have to be the referee of all on a war of who of nine guys that want to do like a Rolling Stone. Uh-huh. You know, fortunately that didn't happen. Right. Everybody was great about it. They picked different songs. Most uh-huh. people picked obscure songs. Uh, you know, Tom Petty, uh, Neil Young, uh, uh, Roger McGuinn, all these people. The, a lot of them I had met already, uh-huh. you know, from being around. But Johnny Cash. Right. I had never met. I got to call up Johnny Cash. Wow. That's scary. That is that is scary. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I got myself all brave, you know. Uh-huh. What'd you do? I call. Take a shot of booze or something like uh, that? How do you I just said it was a mind Go thing. Go r- run around the block three <laughs> times? Yeah, it was a mind. <laughs> I ran around the West Village for a while. <laughs> yeah. Came back to the phone. 20 push-ups. I call, and this woman answers the phone. I say, I explain who I am. And she says, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we knew you were going to call. Now, let me see what John's doing. Mm-hmm. It was June, June, June his wife, June yeah. Carter. Equally legendary. You were just <laughs> I almost had a heart attack when I heard her voice because I knew who it was right away. Right. <laughs> anyway. And they were waiting for you, just like a family they, member. They knew it was gonna. It, right. They knew I was gonna call. Yeah. And, but like I said, every, everybody on that show was great. Uh, George Harrison, Holy Eric shit. Clapton. Um, they were all. They were all. Lou Reed. Wow. Uh, they were all of them. 
Well, well, if if Eric can't come to the rehearsal at one o'clock, he can have my slot. Yeah, and I'll come cool. at ten in the George Harrison. I'll come at ten in the morning if you want. Wow, whatever you want, just just wow. let me know. That's wild. It was great. I think because it was Bob, the respect. Yeah, you know. Yeah, if it'd been me and you. They'd have been no. I'm coming at two. Right, that's that. <laughs> You're lucky. I'm coming. <laughs> You're lucky. I'm even coming. Right. <laughs> exactly. They wouldn't pick up the phone. They'd have right? a publicist to come do on. it. They would come. They would just come. I mean, a lot of them. I did talk to their manager or whatever, you mm-hmm. know. But but um, everybody was great. What do you think about you as kept becoming this like musical director figure in in these major pop culture I think, situations? Um, I think that that the years that I was on the, the TV show on Saturday, Saturday Night Live, Live, right? Yeah, you have there's, quite a presence on there's, that show. Well, there's still nothing stronger than television yeah. in the United States. And no matter how much of a dummy I was, I was established as somebody that knew, knew what he was doing just because right. I was on there for 10 years. You always look like you know what you're doing. You know, <laughs> we, we tried. We had a good time. And again, yeah, an incredible band. Mm-hmm. Because of corporate money, NBC, all that money, yeah. I was able to hire the best musicians. I had Steve Turay, the jazz trombone player. Yeah. He was like the downbeat number one every year guy. Right. You know, yeah. major, major people in that band. Yeah, and uh, Leon Pendarvis and Cheryl Hardwick, the keyboard players, phenomenal musicians. You know, you couldn't just hire these people with yeah. enough money and. Uh, uh, yeah. And it was great. That that was really fun. So yeah, I I um I think people got used to seeing me as a band leader, right? Because of that, and that led to the position with Bob, ultimately. Somewhere in there, because it was at the same time I did Bob while I was doing the show. A lot of uh, which is phenomenal. A lot of airplanes. Yeah, were, and that he wouldn't you know, book Saturday night gigs. He actually did that for a few years. That that That's, he on uh, the on, well, they only do twenty Saturday Night Lives. In a season okay. from like September to May or whatever, right? So he could still do like 30 Saturdays. So, so yeah. So 20, <laughs> 20 of those Saturday nights, he, he would let me, you know, go home if I had to. But and, still, for a guy show. like that yeah. to forfeit that for it was you. was pretty amazing. That's pretty, that yeah. must have like. Uh, I was honored to play, uh, play with Bob. I really was. I learned a lot. You know, he would. He back then in those days it was cassettes, you know. But he'd give right. me cassettes, and or he'd on the bus he'd play me a listen to this now, listen to this guy. What'd you learn from him? A lot of like traditional songs, you okay. know, uh, American traditional stuff, Civil War songs. He has a, a library in his head of, of Civil songs. War songs. One time we come out uh, the way that we would do the show, we had a, a trio: guitar, bass, and drums. Yeah, right, and Bob. Okay, so I'm playing electric guitar, a bass player, and a drummer. Bob, up front. We would start the show like that, do half hour, 45 minutes, and then just me and Bob would come out with acoustic guitars. Mm -hmm. And he would play whatever he wanted. Mm. And I would just follow Follow. him. Most of that show was just following Bob, you know. How hard was that, has that to do? I don't know how you I always love that that seat of the pants. You love it? Yeah, I do. That's why you're good at it. Uh, I don't know if I'm good at it, but I do love it, you know. Um, And I was a big Bob fan from when his first record came out. I got his first record, you know, when I was like 11 or something. I got that record and I loved it, you know. Uh, In fact, there's a funny story. The way I got the gig with him 
there was a guy named Elliot Roberts. His manager. His manager at the time. Now, Elliot managed uh, Neil Young and Joni Mitchell. Elliot passed away last year. Yeah, Yeah, rest in peace. But um, he he managed them. And Elliot had managed me for a minute in, in about 1980 or something. So I get a call one day at the Saturday Night Live office, and it's Elliot. And he says, hey, man, uh, what are you doing tomorrow night? It was mm-hmm. Wednesday night. He said, what are you doing tomorrow night? I said, nothing, I'm around. He goes, can you get a bass player and a drummer mm-hmm. and be at Montana Studios, which is up on, uh, it, well, you, I don't know if it's still there, but it was up on 10th Avenue. He said, uh, can you be at Montana at 10 o'clock? 10th and what? Like 56th, oh, okay. something like that, up upstairs. Is uh-huh. that Avatar? Is it? Have, I, it might have changed, but it was called Montana. I see, Montana. And it, it was kind of like a high-priced rehearsal place. Like, if you couldn't afford oh, yeah. SIR, you could go to Mon, You know, you could pay more and go to Montana, you know, right. if, if, if you wanted to kind of up it and very private. Right. You know, very cool place. Yeah. The Eagles would rehearse there and shit. Right. So When ABBA rolled through town. <laughs> <laughs> hey, ABBA didn't need to rehearse. Come on. That's true. They just were. They had it unlocked. They You're just right. were. They just, they just like a flower. I heard they might play again. Really? Yeah. That's funny. You know, do something. <laughs> Benny and Bjorn and the rest of the gang. Anyway, so he says, can you be there at 10 o'clock with a bass player and a drummer? Bob is in town and he wants to play. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, yeah, I think I could get a couple guys for mm-hmm. that for Bob Dylan. So uh, 10 p.m.? Be there at 10 p.m. Okay, so. I love that it starts at 10 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I show up with, with my guys uh, uh, and T-Bone Wolk, who was my great friend who had played with me with Daryl Hall and John Oates mm-hmm. and was also on the Saturday Night Live Band, and Chris Parker, the drummer on the Saturday Night Live Band. Great musicians, really nice guys. Mm. And uh, we show up, quarter of 10, man, we are standing on the stage, tuned up, oh, ready to yeah. go. You know. yeah. And it was weird when we got there. We came up in the elevator, and there was nobody there. That's there wasn't even like a reception person at the Why desk. Is that? Cause Why is that? Because it was normally that? closed. Oh or? no, no. Normally you'd come up, and there'd be somebody at the desk, and you'd tell yeah. them, "I'm here for what session, whatever Especially session it for was." A rehearsal studio. Yeah, you know, nobody there. Nobody the there. place is pretty dark. Okay. But I knew the layout, and I knew that we would be on the main good stage. You know, so oh. I went down there, and there was the gear, and the stage was lit. But it was a big room, and the whole back of the room was darkness. It's like a movie. It was <laughs> like a movie. It's like a movie. Bob is in the noir. It's like, yeah, it's you like a noir. Like, very, yeah. very noir. <laughs> like. So we get up on the stage, and we check everything. <laughs> we check the gear, and everything's good, and we're all tuned up. Right. We're just kind of waiting, and we're nervous. You know, it's Bob Dylan. Yeah. You know? And uh, time goes by. Time gets to like 1045. Oh, know? man. And at about maybe 5 of 11... Out of the darkness in the back of the room. He, he's been there the whole time. Probably been there the whole time. <laughs> Told you. With the hoodie. Right. Oh, and yeah. The gloves the with the fingers oh, cut off. Oh, man. You know, and he comes up. And I said, oh, hi, Bob. You know, GE. And he goes, yeah, yeah, hi. <laughs> and he puts on a Stratocaster and he starts like strumming an E chord. So we kind of kick in behind him. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's about five feet up in front of us. Right. He's got a microphone, a little station up there, you know. Uh-huh. He's just bong, bong, dong, dong, get down. We kick in and we're dong, dong, don't get to go right along with him. And this goes on. Just on E? Just on E. No change, no nothing. And yeah. He's not looking at us. He's not. How long? A while. Like. 
10 minutes. 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Which can be, a, as you know. No, that's an eternity to that's drone on an e-cord with e Bob Dylan. After you with anybody. With anybody, but especially him, I got to No imagine. group, no particular, nothing changed. It was just... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. So finally, we he just stops. Oh, that's so funny, dude. And then, then he sort of did. I don't even remember what he did, but he did one of his songs, you know, in a very offhand kind of way, you know, sort of disinterested, lackluster, very like, yeah, not. And I thought, oh God, this is, you know, this is weird. Okay, but he wanted to play, so here we are. Yeah. Um, then, after a couple of those, then he turns around and he walks over. Me and T Bone are standing right next to each other. And he yeah. goes. Hey, do you guys know Pretty Peggyo? Uh -huh. And me and T Bone knew Pretty Peggyo, so we both like like twins. We go sure. And he how, goes, how do you know that song? Well, I know a lot of that traditional American stuff. That's you know? amazing. I love those songs. You know. Anyway, we go sure, and he goes, you do, and he gets animated for yeah. the first time. You know, you do. So he turns around, and he starts doing Pretty Peggyo, and we kick in, and we really did know it. Right. You know? Okay, and then after that, yeah. <laughs> st he starts playing now, song after song, just one after another. We're following him, and it started to vibe. He started vibe, and his energy really came way up, you know. Mm -hmm. in a okay, so at some point, he thanked us, and he disappeared into the back of the blackness back, in the room, you back know, to the dark shadows. And that was it. And, and <laughs> we packed up and left. And how long was it? It was a few hours, like three hours. Yeah, without stopping. That's. That's I mean, hefty. like song after song after song after song, 40, 50 songs. That's easy. crazy. Yeah. He knows more songs than I know a lot of songs. I know probably a couple thousand songs that, that, you, would, uh, that you would recognize. Yeah. I just sit here and play like Motown, R&B stuff, you know, right. hits from the World War I up to now, you know, standards. Yeah. He knows way more. Really? I mean, the guy knows. Plus, he's read every book. I'm a reader. Yeah. You know? He has read every book. We started talking about Moby Dick one day. He started quoting it. Really? Yeah. Hey, uh, you know that chapter about the ropes? There's a whole chapter in there about, you know, seamen tie ropes, you know, sailors. And he's quoted paragraphs from the rope chapter. Damn. I so gotta, anyway, I, this, that makes me feel like I need to try harder in life <laughs> right? when you say that. Oh, man. Like, I need to try harder. Well, he's obviously got a big brain. You yeah. know, he's got a serious <laughs> intellect, he does. Yeah, that's true. So anyway, uh, we left, and I remember in the, in the cab going back to where T-Bone was parked, uh, we were like, wow, that was so cool. We got to play with Bob Dylan, you know, mm -hmm. great. So then next day or two days later, I'm in the office, phone, it's Elliot Roberts yeah. again. And he goes, all right, you got the gig. Uh -huh. First rehearsals in California on uh, whatever. I, wait, Elliot, what gig? What are you mm. talking about? Yeah. Oh, didn't I tell you that was the audition? Yeah. I mean, no, you didn't tell me. It but was you didn't a, suspect it was some kind of audition no, process? No, I really thought You that, thought you were just jamming. Because that's classic Bob. You know, yeah, you that's just want to play. That's true. Get some guys. I want to play. Right. Fine. That makes sense. So uh, we got the gig. So eventually... Now, Bob never told me this, but I, I got this from, like, Elliot. Were you already doing Saturday Night Live? Yes, I was in, we were in the middle yeah, so of Saturday Night Live. This in is that. 1988. Oh, okay. This is, like, the spring of 88. All right. And, uh, and so, wait, Bob didn't tell you this, but you heard something? Sorry so, so yeah, Bob never confirmed this story to me, but what I heard was that he had done his two previous tours. One of them had been with the Grateful Dead backing him up, uh -huh. and one of them was Tom, Tom Petty and the Petty's Heartbreakers band. backing yeah. him up. I've so seen that he show. Did you see that one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we had two well-established, 
big, Huge powerful bands, bands yeah. backing them up. Bands with real character mm. and their own life. That's you know? true, yeah. Uh, and he wanted to just cut down to a trio Strip of it. just some guys. That makes sense. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, it made sense. And he had been going around the country and had auditioned three or four trios. And at some point he would say, you guys know Pretty peggy mm-hmm. We were the only ones that did. Pretty peggy We were the ones that knew it. That's so. amazing. Peggy got us the gig. That's crazy. Yeah. Who wrote Pretty peggy Oh, man, that's tradition. How does that you know? one go? Uh, Do you know? As, as we march down, as we march down, as we march down to Fenario, where a captain fell in love with a girl like a dove. She's the prettiest girl that I ever seen, yo. Come marching, come running down the stairs. Come running down the stairs. Come running down the stairs, pretty Peggy, oh. Come running down the stairs, combing back your yellow hair. You're the prettiest girl that I ever seen, yo. Senior, Peggyo, Senior. I can see why Bob likes that song. Oh yeah, it sounds like something he would have wrote. Well, that's I do it like him. You know? yeah. yeah, but the Dead did it. You know, a lot of people have done that song. It's, it's oh, okay. a traditional. That's funny. Uh, American ballad. Yeah. You know? So when you got the gig, then mm. didn't you have? Did you immediately have to say to Bob or Elliot, like, "Hey, I got the Saturday Night Live." Well, they thing. were aware I, of that. They knew, they, they well already aware. factored that in. Uh, Elliot had certainly factored it in. Yeah, as okay. a manager, he had to think yeah. about stuff like that, you know. Um, but that all it all worked. But that that was how it started, and it was yeah, it was for me to to get to play with him was just the an honor just the, the right. deepest i always been lucky you know i always because there's a million guitar players there's lots yeah. of guys that play real good you know i've just been lucky and i would fall into these different things you know i played with david bowie a tiny bit and i just met him at a party right and uh he liked your crew cut he did yeah <laughs> do you know that story i know that story yeah, yeah. tell it yeah he uh <laughs> He he. Because this is when all, everybody was a long hair, and G told the guy to make his uh, head look like he just got out of the Marines. Exactly. I would go to the barber and say, "Make make it look like I'm I'm in the Marines," you know. Make it, yeah. and they would just shave it off, you know. And this was when when uh, this was in the seventies, you know, mm-hmm. like when so Boston that was, that was, was coming out, and the guys had the long the dues, you know. Anyway, what uh, do was Bowie sporting then? He had the night like comb back, you okay. know, the thin white Duke. Um. We were at a party. I was at a party, and he was there. And he always had this woman, Coco, uh, who who was his sort of uh, buffer mm-hmm. to the world, you know. And Coco came over to me at some point and said, uh, "Would you like to meet David?" I said, "Of course." So she comes over and introduces me. He was very nice, nicest guy, really. That's what I heard. Yeah, David. When he smiled at you, man, you were smiling at. Right. More than anybody I ever knew. Yeah. The guy was just—he was really nice. Anyway. Uh, okay, so we just say hello and, you know, idle chatter for a minute, nothing specific. And I'm back then over on some other side of the party, and he's doing whatever he's doing. And at some point, Coco comes over and says, David's shooting a video tomorrow, and he would like you to be in the video. I said, great. I'd love to. You know, where is it? It was right down the street from where I was living. I was living at 72nd and Central Park West. It was, like, mm. right down the street. They were yeah. shooting it. 
What time? Two o'clock. Okay. I said, should I bring my guitar? She goes, oh, you're a guitar player? I said, yeah. She goes, wait a minute. She goes back over to her. She comes back. She says, okay, you're going to play the guitar player in the video. <laughs> and then we wound up doing a little stuff, you know. That's cool. Yeah. What did you do with him? We went, uh, the, the best thing was we, uh, the, remember the Johnny Carson show? Yeah, of you, course. You would have just been a child at the time. Well, I mean, I, but, I grew up, like, I'm, I'm 48. Okay. You know? You're starting to grow up. Starting anyway. to grow up. <laughs> starting to grow up. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll give it to you. We, yeah. It was the last hour and a half Johnny Carson show, as it turned out. And Richard Pryor was also on the show. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. I got to meet Pryor. But we went out to Los Angeles, did the show, and his, the new song he had coming out that we had shot the video for was Ashes to Ashes. Okay, wow. Great song. It's one right? of the best. Time and again I tell myself I'll stay clean tonight But the little green wheels are following me I said, David, what are the little green wheels? Uh -huh. and he went, oh, you know, what the, if you're at the BBC yeah. And the, the, girl, the woman comes with the tea cart uh -huh. And it's got the green wheels The little green wheels That's what he was talking about Yeah Right, and I had done shows on the BBC with different bands, you know, so yeah. I knew what he was talking about. But you'd never know that unless right. he told you. Well, it sounds like a psychological state right. when you right. put it like the little the green, green wheels, wheels, the way he you says know, it. Yeah. yeah, it makes it sound like a you know, yeah, you're some sort of psychotic vision or something. Right. Yeah, but it was it, it was, was the tea literal. cart. It was just a tea Literally cart. Literally the roll. tea cart. <laughs> yeah. Which you know, um, which he did that because he did the cut up technique. He would do the cut up which stuff. Which is that's like taking cut up from life. I don't know. How, I mean, you write great songs, man. Thank you, and, sir. And I don't know your writing process, but a lot of the people I've known that, that wrote good songs, mm -hmm. um, Daryl Hall. Uh, God, what a legend! Love uh, him. Yeah, that was that was my like first kind of big gig. Big gig, yeah. Yeah. It's funny when I got hired for I'm those. A huge fan of those Hall. Oh man, days those too. records are so like, good. Come on. Those they records. still just bang. They sound amazing. They just, it just sounds crushing still. It it's really just, does. Yeah, it's just you know, like, people, there's no wonder they were as huge as they were. It's right. like how, it's undeniable. Well, you know, they had been, had a big breakout in the mid-70s mm -hmm. when they had Sarah Smile, oh, Rich That's my Girl. favorite still, Sarah Smile. Sarah I Smile, what a, what a record, right? Beautiful. Um, great song. Yeah. And then it, it kind of fell off. Oh, for a did while. it? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, it really did. Oh, that's good to hear. Um, they did a yeah, go because you know it <laughs> inspires you to like right. oh, keep swinging, keep swinging, keep swinging. Even Hall and Oates fell off for a second because when just... when they hired me, which I think was at the tail end of '78, mm -hmm. just when it was about to go nuclear. Right. Well, they hired me, and I got two hundred dollars a week when we first went on the road. A hundred dollars to wow. play the guitar, and a hundred dollars to drive one of the station wagons. That's wild. And we were playing. <laughs> That's wild. We were playing bars, and we were playing joints. Right. You know, but pretty quick, uh, they recorded. You know, we we got in the studio and and recorded and and got some records out, and things started popping pretty good, and Hell it went yeah. from from the station wagons to Learjets and limos. Hell and yeah. And stayed there, you know. Yeah. So I was with them from 79 to 85. That's a good long run in the it was music nice, business. Man. We had a great time. Yeah. All, you know, all over the world. Some of those records, like Maneater. 
Yeah. That song, Mania. Oh, fuck that yeah. record Dude, was that... so big all over the world. Yeah. I used to roller skate to Man Eater. Right. Right. I used to go to the roller rink and fucking fuck with Man Eater. <laughs> Were you on the oh, albums man. too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, oh, I, yeah. I, we, we, what we would do once things really got rolling. It, at that time, the way they toured, it took nine months to do the world. I'm putting the air quotes okay. around yeah. the, world. the world. It took nine months to do a, a world tour. We would do the United States, of course, Canada, uh, Europe, Japan. They were huge in Japan. Uh-huh. Daryl and John, just huge. We would do Japan and Australia, New Zealand. Right. right? Come back, maybe take a month off, and then go into Electric Lady. Okay. And do a record. Is that where you cut those records? That's where we cut most of the stuff that I did with them. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Most of the stuff. And it was kind of the dawn of the digital recording world. Is that right? Yeah. 80s? Early 80s. Really? Early 80s. I think that the first CD was released in 81, right? Oh, right. That's true. I think the first digital recording, Ry Cooter and Springsteen did the first two or some of the first two, digital two three digital recordings. We actually did a session from Electric Lady with Stevie Wonder. He was in Tokyo, I think. Mm-hmm. So it was the first time because of digital that we could link up and do something at the same time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And uh, we had uh, Daryl and John bought one of the first, if not the first, Synclavier, which was a... Synclavier. Synclavier. Is that how, yeah? However you say the, it, we used to call it Synclavier, but Synclavier. Yeah, and, I've always heard it called Synclavier right. or whatever. And that was that a, crazy a, sample. It was a sampler. It was the first. Cost like fifty grand, right? Fifty grand. I think it was more. Like hundred grand. Yeah, there was grand. like four of them. Peter, Big money. Peter Gabriel had one. Yep. And but like I think Daryl and John. <laughs> yeah. Daryl no, and John that. got like the first or the second uh-huh. one, and. Not only did you get the instrument, it was a keyboard yeah. thing. It was a synthesizer, yeah. but it, it would work off samples. You yeah. Could, you could record into now it. Now you can get one at the app store for 99 right? cents. <laughs> you probably can. One that with more function. Right. But not only did you get the instrument, yeah. a guy. Yeah, you needed a guy. You got a guy. You got a teacher. Yeah, because it was so fucking complicated. The guy came on yeah, the, the road the with us. Had, oh, yeah, there's a Sinclair guy. His name, his, his name was Wells. <laughs> right. He came from the factory with this thing. In the box. In the, I guess oh, in yeah. the box. No, you pump him up. He comes yeah, he comes. Like, <laughs> you pump him up. It comes with an air uh, pump. Do you have to pay for his food on the road? Nah, nah, nah. He's self-sustaining. Self-sustaining. Just, just like you plug him in. You plug him in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was so expensive that you got a guy with it. <laughs> but they were into that stuff. Yeah. And they, and they they were also there for the uh, dawn of MTV. Right. And Tommy Matola, who was their manager at the time, mm-hmm. legendary music business guy. Yeah. Uh, and and Daryl and John, they were very aware of that MTV was going to be Huge. a big deal. Yeah. And we had seven or eight or nine videos in the can ready to go when MTV came on. Man. So in, in like the first... Perfect timing for everything. I remember when the night it came on, which I could be wrong, but it was in April of 81, I think. Yeah. We were out in like, I think Norman, Oklahoma or somewhere playing at the university, mm-hmm. Oklahoma State University. We had done a gig. And I remember we came back to the hotel and we all went to the somebody's room and watched mm-hmm. this 
MTV, come on the air. Yeah. You know? That's crazy. And back then, there were no commercials. Yeah. There were only music videos. Yeah. What year was that? 81, I'm pretty sure. 81? I'm pretty sure it was April of 81. We'll have to check. Okay. You know? I remember. Check. I remember when yeah MTV first landed. I, that hit me like I was ten years old. Oh, so cool. Eleven years old. So it was like perfect. It was so cool. We didn't have cable at my house, but I would go to my friend's house with cable. Where did you, where'd you grow up? In Ohio, Akron, Ohio. In Akron. Actually, yeah, you did my the mom whole was Cleveland from Akron. Browns thing. I did the thing with the Browns. Yeah, we got to go into that there. too. But yeah. your your mom's from Akron. My mom was from Akron. Yeah, that's crazy, dude. Yeah. That's where I'm from. Yeah, yeah. I just cool. I just was there. I just played a show. Ohio is big music territory. Yeah, it is big time. American I music. Same, I went to the same high school as Chris. Chrissy Hine and there the Black Keys and Rachel Sweet. Chrissy Hine, man. A yeah, rocker pretenders. from her head to Dude. her toes. Yeah. She's I mean, I played with a lot of people. Deal. Yeah. She is the real deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you play with her, you're rocking. Mm-hmm. You feel it. She starts whacking on that Telecaster and it's yeah. bang, it's there. Yeah. When did you, you play with her? I didn't play in her band or anything, no. but I've gotten to, to play with her a couple times. Okay. Like on that Let's... Big Bob Dylan show, she oh, was right. on that. And um, she was on Saturday Night Live a couple times. I don't. I might have played with her once on there, and then once she had her full band. I don't remember, but I know I played with her a couple times, and it's inspiring. She's just one of those people. She puts on the guitar and hits it, and you go, "Yeah, okay, I'm in. I right. got it." Yeah. Just for fact checking, yeah. yeah. What is it? MTV is August midnight at August first, nineteen eighty one. There you go. Okay, so it was August. Nice. August first. Yeah. Man. We were in Norman, Oklahoma. I do remember that. What was the first Hall and Oates video? That came on, ooh, I don't remember right now. I'll look that up. Which one? Yeah. What was the first song yeah, I was played on MTV? But um, my, my friend Greg Dooley, uh, he, mm. I don't know if you're familiar with the Afghan wigs. Sure. Or yeah. Sure. But we, we have, we're uh, big Hall & Oates fans, and we're one time nerding out on Hall & Oates records and talking about the fact that almost all of them have fade outs. Yes. Isn't that well, that's funny? That's they classic. just keep going forever. Long fade outs. <laughs> yeah, long fade outs. They were it's so like, into that, and we yeah. would sit in the studio, you know, and go, "No, man, make it longer." Right here, here. When Mickey, the drummer, when Mickey does that little thing, yeah, then we go out. Right? Oh, right. That's where it, you can't hear it anymore. Yeah. But remember the song. Uh, they all fade out. Yeah. <laughs> um, out of touch. Uh, oh yeah. That song, dude. Do it in the wrong key. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> You're out of touch. I'm out of time. Going out of my head when you're not around. You're out of touch. Is all know. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. So I, I remember playing on that record, and I got to when it got to the chorus. You know, mm-hmm. you can hear that guitar. It's a big old Gretsch with a big speed. Yeah, you know? just wanging that chord. And... Great songs. Great thrilling times, man. It was. How'd it you was. get hooked up with them? They're Pennsylvania guys. I'm a Pennsylvania guy. Oh, okay. But they were in the studio in the summer of, I guess it's the summer of 79. Yeah, it's summer of 79. They're in the studio, and they were having trouble with guitar players. Mm-hmm. 
a guy named Eddie Zine who had played drums with them in that mid-70s period. Mm-hmm. I had worked with with a band out of the city here called Desmond Child and Rouge. Okay. And Desmond went on to write Big a lot hit, of songs. Big hitmaker. I, I got to meet him recently. Loving an Elevator. He's still doing it. He's doing it. Dude. Yeah. Loving Amazing an Elevator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he wrote Dude a, Looks Like a Lady. Dude Looks Like a That's the one. Dude yeah, looks like yeah. A lady. Dude Looks yeah. Like a Lady. Dude Looks Like a Lady. He's a dope dude. Yeah, he is. He knows yeah, what he's doing. He's a cool dude. But but he was young. We were all young then, and uh, he had this record out. So Eddie Zine had played drums in that outfit oh, okay. when we were out on the road and making right. the records. And then so he had dropped by to visit with Daryl and John just to say, hey, and they were really having a problem with this guitar player that night. Mm. And Eddie said, well, I know a guy that plays, you know, that you might like. And he's from Pennsylvania, like you guys. And so they're like, okay, send him around, you know. Mm-hmm. So I came and uh, I met him and uh, uh, Daryl at the time had an, an apartment in the West Village. And he said, well, come over to my place tomorrow afternoon and we'll play. Bring your guitar and we'll play. Like an got, audition. Yeah. He said, I got a piano there and, and we'll play. So I got my guitar and might have brought a little amp with me and I, I go up in his apartment and, and we sit down and we start talking and I used to wear some clothes in those days, you know, my crew cut and stuff and mm-hmm. he he wore some clothes himself. You what know? do you mean? Like you all dressed up to kill? I, I had some, yeah. You yeah, guys were was, killing it? Those were different times, you know. <laughs> People were more fun? Yeah. Well, I was anyway. <laughs> um, so uh, he liked whatever, something I had on a shirt or something. Yeah. You know? Vintage. I used to wear a lot of vintage clothing, you know. Right on. And, uh, and, and the crew cut was still real weird. Right. You know. 79 it was weird it was weird yeah like jerry Murata, who was who was the drummer yeah he used to play with peter gabriel he played too. with gabriel exactly yeah i i got I, I almost got to play with him jerry's a fantastic musician great yeah. guitar player great musical, singer very musical dude He's, he can sing he's upstate i think yeah we should, we should try to get in touch with him yeah you should tell him i said hey if yeah. you do, he's a great guy yeah. but i was walking with jerry one time and I was wearing like this like gray suit from about 1960, uh-huh. you know, and I got the crew cut and we're walking past the Port Authority building and Jerry starts laughing. I said, what are you laughing at, man? He goes, he said, man, we're walking down here, 42nd Street. People are looking at you, you know, like I was so weird looking to people back then. <laughs> you, you just know? had the light, dude. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe you I don't know the... if it was the light. I had something going you, you were wild. You're a wild character. But anyway, uh. I went up in Daryl's apartment that day and we started talking about clothes and then we talked about Pennsylvania a little bit and music because mm-hmm. uh, him and John both loved all the old, you know, the Motown and, and yeah. the uh, that stuff. Like, I don't know if you know these records. Um, there was a great whole bunch of records that came out of Philadelphia and Chicago. Uh, the Dells and the Chai Lights and the uh-huh. Delphonics, you know. Didn't I blow your mind this time? Didn't I? And then somebody go, Wah! you know, like four <laughs> octaves above where there were some guys singing, you know, all those. And I knew all those records. I knew how to play them. And, and yeah. so we, we talked about all that. But we never wound up playing a note. Right. I just got the gig. Oh, just for from the nice chat shirt. and because you look and cool as fuck. Yeah. That's funny <laughs> so, as hell. Um, <laughs> Now, I got to mention uh, T-Bone Wolk, who yeah. was the bass player at the right. time. Right, coolest he, looking dude, too. Greatest guy, man. Yeah. My dear friend, he, he passed away. Recently, right? Well, a few I'm years ago now, probably maybe eight years ago. Okay. Uh, he went home one That's night still after. still recent. Yeah. He That's went home one night after a session with Daryl, 
And he's sitting at the table with his girlfriend eating a sandwich, and he goes, hey, you know, I don't feel so... Gonk. Really? Out, gone. Like gone. a light. Like a light going out. That's pretty wild. And he had always told me that he had something wrong with his heart and that that could happen. Oh, that's know? interesting. So the heart went. Yeah. Yeah, it just went. But yeah. he was the greatest. Uh, if you see the... I loved his soul patch. Oh, yeah. You know? He had classic. Iconic, iconic soul patch. Just the best, best bass player. And an incredibly good guitar player. Mm-hmm. And a great piano player. He played uh, uh, the accordion. He was a New York State accordion champion when he was like that. 11 or 12. That's funny. You know. This yeah. guy was a real musician. You know? Yeah. I'm so lucky I got to play with these real musicians. You know, When I was a kid in Pennsylvania, yeah. I'd look at the pictures of, of like Miles and... Mm-hmm. Uh, Sonny Rollins and all the cats, you yeah. know, and the old jazz bands. And I go, that's, I want to be with those guys. Right. You know? How old were you? When I was little. Yeah. You know, like looking at stuff. Five, six? Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And, yeah. you know, so I got a guitar when I was four just what, by Just accident. what drew you to music? Did it, was your I got a guitar. Uh, there was a guitar. Um, from your uncle, right? It, it, it was hanging in the basement. It yeah. had been. My uncle was like a antique glorified junk dealer. Guy. Okay. My so uncle George, like, that I'm named after. Oh, okay. And there was a guitar that he had got on some deal. Just a cheap yeah. collegiate brand. And you were you attracted know. to it. I was attracted. I said to my mom, what is that? She said, it's a guitar. Do you want it? I said, yeah, give it to me. And I dragged it out back. And I would lay it on the ground. Yeah. And I would... With the low string, I would, yeah. I would just wang on it. And who knows what it was tuned to. It was probably tuned way down. You know? Right. And I'd hit it, and I'd watch the string vibrate. Yeah. You know? And I'd the way only around. a kid could. Boom. Yeah, you know? right? Like I was the lost kid, The kid it. thing. Focused. You know? I'm four. <laughs> it's like, oh, they're like sitting there looking at the vibration. Right. Freak. Like, probably like somebody, like an adult would be like if they were tripping. Yep. Because right. kids are tripping. Because kids are tripping. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you trip until you're about seven. Yeah, and then you wake you know, up. Then you yeah. wake up. Yeah. But anyway, I'm laying there. I'm laying then there. it's the whole rest of your life trying to get back there. Yeah. But anyway. I'm watching that string vibrate. And at some point, I realized that the vibration made the sound. Oh, okay. My little brain connected, connected some dots. that. And man, the whole physical universe slammed into place. You know, like. Like you say, we're tripping when we're little. Yeah. I'm a little baby. I'm just rolling along, and yeah. the world is just this ball of color and light. Yeah. And then I realized the string vibrates, and like, oh, buildings have edges, and the sky is higher than the building. Right. And that airplane up in the air is way higher than the building. Yeah. And, you know, like all that came yeah. into focus for me. That's interesting. So then I... Kind of uh, like a universal tone it, waking you up. Like it was weird, yeah. It was striking. It's kind of trippy, but it that's what trippy. happened, yeah. Yeah, it was like the guitar chose you. Maybe. It did. Yeah. So then I just, um, at some point I learned how to, you know, tune it and get strings and stuff. I would get the little book, you know, the Mel Bay oh, right. book. And when I was seven, I actually then knew how to play some chords. Already. That kind of stuff, you know. Those are still my best chords. C, F, and G, <laughs> You can't miss, man. One, four, five. Don't give it away. How many songs, huh? Right. With those three chords. Throw in an A minor. Throw in an A minor. Just to jazz it up. Now you can play every song. Yeah. But when I was seven, this woman, uh, my uncle, same Uncle George, uh, his girlfriend. Yeah. They came by and uh, 
she looks at me sitting out there and she must have been like a rich lady. I think it was like she was like a married lady that he was having this little okay. affair with, little you know. Thing. A little yeah. on the she, side. Was, she was from New York City Uh-oh. and we lived out in the country in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, but a lot of people from the city would come in the summer for vacation. Yeah. In the area where we grew up in the Poconos. Right. right? So uh, she sees me there and she goes, "Oh, you want a real guitar? You can actually play a little bit. You want a real guitar? I'm 7. What am I going to say?" Yeah, I want a real guitar. Yeah. Of course. A couple of days later, she shows up with a little Martin, little wow. Martin 0017, and even better, like a 14-year-old Irish girl that really knew how to play. Holy shit. So now not only am You struck gold. I struck gold. Plus, I got this beautiful Irish girl to look at. Well, that's what I mean, I mean about the gold. Yeah, that's what you mean about the gold. <laughs> the other thing Just is- man, I mean, classic. <laughs> Red hair, freckles. Wow. You know, the milk whites. Oh, man. <laughs> so she shows me how to finger pick. That's I didn't a- know that you could finger pick. She shows me to go. Wow. You know, that you could do that. She called it Travis picking. Merle yeah. Travis. You know, and she told me the song, Step, step, we gaily on we go, Heel for heel and toe for toe, Arm in arm in on we go, Off of Mari's wedding. Mari's wedding, which is, you know, just a traditional Irish yeah. number. Uh, eventually, Van Morrison once finally did a recording of that with the chieftains and I was so knocked out because that was that song I learned from that girl. I don't remember the girl's name, but I remember that. So I remember so the song funny. that she taught me. And then so you you just kept going from there. Yeah, and, yeah, and I just kept playing and by the time I was 11 and I was doing little gigs and bands and stuff. And yeah. Mom bought me a Telecaster and like those must have been sweet guitars and like cuz probably not even that expensive at the time, but now no. do you still have the Telecaster? I have that Telecaster and it turned out I was born January 27th, 1952, and this guitar is dated January 13th, 1952. That's insane. And we got it used, of course, for my 11th birthday in 63. It was 100 bucks. So it's got to be worth, like, crazy Well, amounts. to me, of course, it's, you it's know, huge value. Yeah. You know, and I played it on everything that I've ever done. I mean, I, really? With Bob, I used that guitar the whole time, just really? exclusively. Your yeah. first guitar? That, that, well, the first electric. Yeah. Yeah. Your well, no, I had a Japanese. I had a Tysco before that. Yeah. Nice red Tysco, you uh-huh. know, with three pickups and yeah. lots of knobs and switches. But the Telecaster was a real, you know, professional grade instrument. And I'll I was say. real lucky to get that. Yeah. And hang on to it. Yeah. I know, man. A Through lot of all other the ones. trials and tribulations of this life. Yes. And there were some trials and tribulations. They do come. But uh, yeah, I always kept that one. I knew I had to keep that. Yeah. So what what sent you from Pennsylvania to New York? Is that what the trajectory was? Well, it, it should go, have was been. Was it a straight shot? It should have been, because by the time I was 15, I had found one other young guitar player guy. There were no guitar players. When I was little, when I was like 10, 11 and stuff, there were no guitar players. Yeah, can players. you imagine now, like, if you go on your phone and learn from every professional that It's almost too... It's too many options now. Professional. When I need to learn a song now, like if I'm yeah. doing some gig and they want to do some Beatles song or something, you know, yeah. I go on YouTube and there's a 15-year-old Czechoslovakian girl <laughs> right. who is playing that, it better than I'll ever play. Right. Like, and she knows all the ins and outs. 
handstand with yeah. her feet. Like, right. I and, know. It's, and she and she'll say, now when he gets to the crazy. third verse, that <laughs> yeah. D minor chord, it's only three beats in the third verse. It's four beats in every but, other verse. No, I know. She's I'm, got it. I'm down. the same way, dude. Yep. That's where I learned from like thirteen year yeah. olds that are better than I'll it's ever be. <laughs> but I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that but, stuff. But back then, you back know, then it, it, was, it was so anyway, it was by like, the time I was fifteen which was 67, I had met this other uh, young guitar player, he was a couple years older than me, who lived like two towns over, uh -huh. Minnesink Hills, the yeah. big town. Yeah. yeah, buddy. And we started coming into town to, to the city and going to the Fillmore East mm. and seeing shows. I still have some Hendrix and all that shit. Did, did I didn't he, see Hendrix. But did, was that blowing your mind when he came up? Because oh, man. you were like just right at hey, the perfect age that, for that. That summer of '67. Yeah, like, in the spring, Sergeant Pepper comes out. Right. And in like July or August, Hendrix comes out. Are you experienced? Yeah. I remember the first time we heard Purple Haze. <laughs> what? Right. What? Right. <laughs> we knew it was a guitar yeah but it, it was not speaking a guitar language that we had ever heard right it, you like a younger person now that wasn't around then can't imagine what that sounded like yeah it was so brand new yeah. so completely out of hand different than anything that had ever happened we literally couldn't tell what notes that not only that it was a weird series of notes, but the sound and the way he played it. There'd never been nothing like it. So yeah, that was a great time to be. Yeah, a, I mean, a it affected player. me in a huge way. I bet. And I was, and you know, even growing up in like the '80s. I mean, even then, still. Yeah. The, so the impact of that was still resonating to a huge degree. It still resonates. It still resonates. Yeah, but I'm just saying like get the the reach of that thing yep. is like unbelievable. What really gets me uh uh now is like you see these incredible young, you know, uh, like 8-year-old Japanese kid who can play uh uh the Randy Rhodes solo from an Ozzy Osbourne song. Right. You know, I can't play Crazy that. Crazy train, yeah. Uh, yeah, I couldn't sit down and play that. Yeah. I could figure out the notes maybe, but I'd never play it right. This kid plays it right and he's eight. Yeah. You know. Uh a girl, there's there's like some young girl drummers <laughs> I've that seen, are playing yeah. young, under ten. And they are playing these songs and they're really playing them. Okay? So in when I was a little kid if you were lucky, maybe you heard a Chet Atkins record mm -hmm. and got to start there. Like I did some work. You ever heard this guy, Tommy Emmanuel, this Australian yeah. guitar player? Mm -hmm. He's the best guitar player there is. He really is. Nobody, as far as playing the instrument and still putting some soul into it, mm -hmm. a lot of people have incredible technique, you know, but you don't hear any, any soul. Right. Man, Tommy Emmanuel, it's soulful and beautiful and he can play every style. But anyway, so I got to start with very simple you know yeah okay that's great got to start somewhere today if a kid wants to start playing guitar they can start at van halen right they can start at jimmy at hendrix eruption, yeah they can right they can start at eruption yeah right or they can start at at more recent they can start at john five you know you know about that guy oh fuck yeah you know i guy? follow him on instagram dude damn he's fun Damn, I'll tell you a funny story about he's, him. Man. He's, he's fun. He can play. 
He yeah. seems like a nice guy, too. And, you know, he's Canadian, he, and he first yeah. played with, um, what's that woman's name? Constant Crazy. Well, just look it up. He, he, he started out <laughs> playing with her, and, and he, he's a great country player, John Five. Right. Country. Oh, right, yeah, he can do like, everything. Incredible. So I'll tell you a funny story. I did this. Uh, I've always played a Telecaster since I'm little, right? Mm -hmm. So at some point, Fender made a, for a little while, a G.E. Smith Telecaster. Oh, Katie Lang, of course. Katie, Katie Lang. Lang, right. Katie Lang. Right. I, I think he it. came out of her band from, from uh, Western Canada. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And now, you know, he's done all this stuff with like Marilyn Manson and Rob Zombie. And, and Rob stuff. Zombie, yeah. and he wears the mask. Yeah. He's a cartoon character. He's incredible. Yeah, he's awesome. So anyway, they, Fender's making this G.E. guitar, and I go to a convention out in California, some kind of music convention where Fender's putting on all these acts. You're talking about Nam. It wasn't Nam. This was a Fender thing. Oh, really? But Just it, straight up A lot up of people Fender. were there, and, and I got to play with uh, Billy Gibbons and okay. uh, James Burton, who's this fantastic, played with Elvis Presley and Ricky Nelson. It's just yeah. an unbelievable guitar player. Uh, but anyway, John Five's at this thing, and he got his girlfriend with him at the time, they dressed exactly the same. They had their hair done exactly the same. And they were wearing the same makeup. You couldn't tell them apart from the front or the back. That's funny. I remember looking, the two of them were standing. I'm looking out in front of the back, and you couldn't tell which one was which. I mean, they did it, obviously, as a mindfuck thing. Right. People, you know. Yeah. It was great. But I, I got to talk to him a little bit there and a couple other places, and I've watched a bunch of his videos on YouTube. He's great. Yeah. But you can start there. That's what I'm saying. If you're a little kid. You can start with John Five and, yeah. and learn. So it'll be interesting to see how the guitar evolves from here. But I feel like, in a way, we had an advantage in that, okay, less resources to learn from immediately, but also far less distractions. I mean, when we were growing right. up, that shit was the only game in town. Right. So the focus, and then also the rock and roll dream that you could actually take that to the moon and back, and you could... I feel like those two elements are less now for people. Like that is so not the only game in town. There's, right. there's a world of distractions that are good and hard to get away from. I'm even seeing that just in my life now. I remember I used to have better focus on writing songs a few years ago than mm -hmm. I do now because now I'm on YouTube all the time and it's so and I can and then also it's under the guise of like self help because it can be positive shit that I'm looking at and right. like. But still, I'm realizing, hey, this is a distraction, all this shit. I'm just not focusing on writing songs. Because when songwriting used to be the only game in town. Right. So, that, so I feel like, in a way, it'll be interesting. Because there's going to be some people that can focus through all the noise. But I feel like those, those will be very rare. I don't know. The digital world changed everything. Yeah, and plus, you know. uh, once virtual reality kicks in, right. I mean, it's going to be insane. Right. I mean, like the thing that, that you kind of pioneered of, of doing the, the, the um, looping. looping. Yeah. There were people doing looping. I knew guitar yeah. players. Jocko doing, Pistorius. Jocko was doing it. Guitar Jocko players did were it. doing it. Yeah, but nobody was doing it as singer-songwriters. Service really. of the song. Yeah. You were the first guy to do it in services. That's I always true. wondered, did That's you ever true. meet that Bon Iver guy? Who, oh, Boniver? Is that how he says it? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I never met Justin. him. Okay. Because he, yeah, he, he must have had your records. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no doubt. Listen to him. His, yeah. his records are wonderful. Yeah. You know. I, I'm but, a fan. But, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. I respect him a lot. But, but you did it 
well before. Thank and, you. And you pioneered that thing of using that lush yeah. sound that looping can create, uh -huh. that lush otherworldly kind of mm -hmm. sound, which is created digitally, yeah. right? And, but in service of good songs. In service of the song first. And that, that was, was a very cool thing. Yeah. Like, I listen now to like Billie Eilish uh -huh. and FKA Twigs. Have yeah. you heard that record, that, that Magdalene record? I haven't heard that listen yet. Listen to this record, man. I'm gonna check it out. The, the way that they put those songs together, and it's completely digital. Right. You know, I don't know if there's a guitar on it. Right. Um, but it's, it's amazing. You know, they're using this stuff, technology, mm -hmm. that word. They're using this stuff and doing something with it. Yeah. You know, both Billie Eilish and her brother, whatever Phineas. his name is. Yeah. yeah. They recorded all the stuff in his bedroom. Uh-huh, on right. a laptop probably. Yeah. Yeah. You don't even need a studio anymore. A no, couple good really, mics and a know, laptop, and you're that, running. That's pretty much it. That's great. Yeah, and that is great. Yeah. It, it is weird. It's weird. It's like, I don't know. I'm getting into this thing where I'm trying to refocus myself more again, you know? And I'm getting there. But but I have to be very disciplined in order to do that, you know? Like, I got to do yoga. I got to go. I did yoga and went on a run today before mm, this. Really? You know? yeah. yeah, just to get... I gotta be. I gotta go hard, lean hard into positivity, or mm -hmm. I'll go hard the other way. <laughs> you know, I, I hear mean? that. You know what I mean? Like, I gotta try. I gotta angle my ship towards the light, and I gotta try. Hey, man, what does it say in <laughs> Stairway to Heaven? There are two paths you can go by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they were talking about. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever it. get to play with Jimmy Page? I never got to play with him. He, I got. He to, never uh, showed up. At a Saturday Night Live? No, nope, no. Nope. What is in your pocket there? Oh, man. These are these little cigars? Cheap ass cigars, yeah. Can I smoke one? Yeah. yeah. Oh. We'll know. probably get arrested if we smoke them in here, but, but yeah. yeah There's nobody here. Are oh, there. How many do you have? Oh, I got a few. Don't worry about that. Do you have a <laughs> light? Make sure I do. I wouldn't carry these around without. Let's both smoke one. So these what? are. These are from Scranton, Pennsylvania. These are amazing. From the home of fine tobacco. <laughs> Let me see a light. From the Avanti Cigar Company. <laughs> the Avanti Cigar Company uh -huh. makes this exact same cigar in, th well, they used to do, now I think they're down to two boxes, but they just used to do it in three different boxes, uh -huh. right? There were the Parodi in this kind of red and green box, mm -hmm. the Ginobili, which I smoke here. I love the Denoboli. Right. Look at that. Look at that package. Right. <laughs> that looks from that, the 50s. Looks, right? Yeah. And and uh, the other one was a Toscanello. Different boxes, exact same cigar in uh -huh. each box, but the package uh, different. Each. The story that was told to me was that if you were from Rome, mm -hmm. you had to smoke with the Perotti. If you were from Naples, you had to smoke the Denoboli. and if you were from Tuscany, you had to smoke the Toscanello. I love rules like that. Right? <laughs> I just love shit Scranton, people make Scranton, up. Scranton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the nicotine still has a has a major oh. pool major pool on this guy, but but I don't you know I don't smoke the regular cigarettes at least. Oh, regular cigarettes are terrible for you. No, nah, I don't do that. Now, light it like uh, light the cigar. Don't draw it so much. You know what I mean? Because you don't want to. Get it too dark at the beginning. There you go. Got it? You got it. 
You're not supposed to inhale, but I always no. do. You can inhale these. Don't you inhale? You a man if you can inhale these. I tell you what. You don't inhale? No, I don't inhale them. Back when I was playing with Daryl and John, uh, there were. Uh, I can't help but inhale it. People started, you know, like the big cigar thing started. Like it yeah. was cool. Started so smoking because I never smoked. I never smoked cigarettes or nothing. You know, and we were in Thailand, in uh, in Bangkok, and the promoter took us out to lunch in this Thailand uh, grew up a series of villages got bigger and bigger kind of circular like concentric rings and they joined and that and that's how Bangkok got formed uh -huh. it's all these different villages right so as you go to these different neighborhoods that grew out of these villages there's a different vibe there's different foods and different things yeah. so this guy took us out to lunch in his place we have this great lunch outside you know the tropical wonderful smells and incredible food and stuff. After dinner, after the lunch, he comes with these Cuban cigars. Uh-huh. Here, you know, have a cigar, have a cigar. And I'm like, I don't smoke. And then the guys go, well, try one, man. You know, so, okay, so I tried it, and I liked it. I liked it. So after that, I started smoking cigars. When I was a little kid, there was a tiny little two-block area of my hometown, Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, the Italian section. Mm -hmm. There were a couple of, there was an Italian market there, Matteo Dave. There was a little pool hall. Guys used to sit out in front and play the mandolin and eat pistachio nuts, you know. And there was an old man that they called Papa Noons uh -huh. that would walk around and he would smoke, well, actually, he would just chew on these little cigars. And I'd see him walking down the street. It's a cigar, shaking up and down, uh -huh. you know? And I'd see that. <laughs> I'd see the package, right? Uh -huh. It was the red and green one. It was the, the Perotti. Okay, so I started smoking cigars in the 80s and uh, going along. So one day, people were giving us Cubans and stuff because it was a, you know, Daryl and John successful band and stuff. People, uh, the, the more successful you get, the more stuff people give you. You ever isn't, notice that? that? More funny? free shit you get. I know. That's it's so funny. weird. But man, when you're down and out and you could really use anything. you anything. Nothing. Nothing, man. Nothing. man. That's the way this world works. That's the world. shit. That's Nobody the way knows this you world. when you're down and out. No, they do not. It I is can, true. <laughs> I can verify so anyway, that. I run out of cigars one day. <laughs> I, I was living down on um, a street called Center Marketplace. It's a one-block street. Uh, just west of like Mott Street, mm -hmm. little one block street down there in Little Italy. And uh, so I go out to get some cigars and I, and I go in the, the store and I see the little red and green box. Mm -hmm. And I go, oh man, that's from Papa Noon's when I was a little kid. So I get it and I bring it home. And then one day I just, well, let me try one of those. I tried it and I loved it. And that's it. That's all I've smoked since then, since the 80s. And you just, just always, always done it. Avanti Cigar Company, Scranton, PA, the home of fine tobacco. That's funny. How, <laughs> how, that's a good ad for them. Yeah, well, there it Maybe is. They'll sponsor Maybe us. they'll sponsor us. <laughs> yeah. So, how did you get the Saturday Night Live gig? Well, because um, you were already Daryl Hall. Right, I was doing, doing Daryl and John, but fortunately, they stopped. You know, we had been hitting it hard for six years. We'd been making records on the road. So we had been working 11 months a year for six years. Easy for me, guy in the band. All I got to do is the shows, right? right. They got to do the shows and press. And, right, the radio appearances and all that stuff. They were tired, man, and I don't blame them. Yeah. Know? 
They needed a break. They needed a break, so they're going to stop. And uh, in 85, spring into the summer, we did the first Farm Aid show. We did the uh, the We Are the World. Remember that? We oh, are the world. Yeah, we did that recording. I was there, man. All that shit landed on me right when I was a teenager, dude. Right. Like, I, that's, this is all my legendary shit. Right. You on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I mean, I watched that every week, dude. I saw you. I was like, who's that guy? <laughs> What's wrong with that guy? <laughs> nah, man. Who's that cool guy? That was it. Um, <laughs> like, it's funny. You do see him on every fucking stage. Oh, when, you, when somebody knows your face, you will pop up everywhere. It's funny. Uh, the other yeah. night, I, I saw uh, a video on YouTube of me and, and Dylan, just the two of us, doing the acoustic set thing, yeah. like back in 90 or something, you know, somewhere in, in Europe, I think it was. And I started reading the comments, which I try to never do, never read comments, yeah, right? Yeah, I never do. But I started looking at the comments just to see what they were saying about the song right. and stuff. And then I got down to one, and some guy says, who's that guitar player? And then it goes down a little bit, and some guy says, "That's Stephen Stills." Oh, <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes. They think I'm somebody else. I love it. Oh, man. For a long time, on my uh, Wikipedia page, there were a lot of mistakes, mm -hmm. and I left them in. I loved it that there was right. mistakes. Yeah, you know, like wrong, just wrong stuff. Straight up wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Like they uh -huh. said, I was in Jersey Boys, that yeah. Broadway show. Uh huh. I never even saw it. I'm right. sure it was great, but I never even saw it. But yeah. they said I was in it. Great. That's funny. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> Pump up the mythology. Right? Yeah. So, but how did you get the Saturday Night Live? Oh, gig? the Saturday Night Live. Gig. So, in, um, back there in the late 70s, I told you I, I did that Desmond Child and Rouge gig, right? Uh huh. Now, Rouge were these three girls, yeah. these great singers. And they. That summer, summer 78, got a gig. Gilda Radner, who was one of the original Saturday Night Live cast. Mm -hmm. Saturday Night Live started in 75. Did you have a relationship with her? We were married. You were married, right? We were. Yeah. So anyway, the Rouge Girls got the job as the singers, mm -hmm. and I guess dancers too, in her one-woman Broadway show that she was just gonna do that summer okay. of 78. And they were putting a band together, yeah. a pit band, you know, that would have been like half sort of a Broadway band, horns and stuff, and half kind of a rock band, you yeah. know, guitar player, keyboard player, bass player, drummer. Um, and the girls recommended me to come in and audition. So I showed up and I auditioned and I got that gig. Yeah. And um, met Gilda and yeah, we had this like relationship and uh, wound up getting married. And so we should have never got married. We should have just stayed friends, you know. It right. Was, it was kind of uh, like that, but but we had a nice time. We we never got mad at each other and stuff, you know. And it was time mm -hmm. to be over. It was just over and it was fine. So then I knew everybody because I'd been around Saturday Night Live and I knew now I know Lauren Michaels from Gilda. Mm -hmm. I know all those people. So that's how I wound up getting How Wilner's the, the Wilner music. came on somewhere in there when I was there. You were there, and yeah. you were like instantly the band that's leader. That's right. You did that like you did that pirate record with Wilner. Oh right? yeah, 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 yeah. The shant uh, sea shanties, sea shanties. Yeah, yeah. And I did a Doc Palmas tribute to the, did you? in Brooklyn. I with knew Doc him, a little with him bit. and Lou. Oh, you did. Yeah. You knew Doc. Yeah. Wow. Did you know Lou Reed? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I figured so. Did you play yeah. with Lou? Oh, at that Bob Dylan show. Yeah. And I always wanted to be in his band, but it just never. Mm -hmm. 
But you guys knew each other. We knew each other from around. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. I used to sit with him at the, at the however you say that, the, the pain quotidian, the pan quotidian, you know, those mm-hmm. places? Yeah. yeah. At the one at uh, the corner of Perry Street and Hudson. Yeah. We used to sit there and talk sometimes. And yeah, he, used to, he liked to go there a lot. Fantastic guy. Yeah, Smart I agree. Smart guy. I loved Lou. Man, huge influence on me. Me too. That that first Velvet Underground record, mm-hmm. you know. When I was like 13, I was doing That's hand- another one with the out of tuneness that's that's appealing. But it's classic. That's beautiful. Makes it more His beautiful. His guitar playing on that record is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, and the viola is out of tune with yeah. the guitar. Yeah. It really rubs, but like, it's great. Yeah. Like on heroin. Like Venus and Furs. Venus too. and Furs. It's like you know? amazing the bendiness of it. stuff that's it yeah shiny 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 boots of leather whiplash girl child in the dark what is I don't write them like that anymore man no but there's like a novel called Venus and Furs right and he he was just approaching it like a novelist you know. Yeah, he was very. Much, remember that one song he did, "The Gift." Mm-hmm. That was they. Just, it was a short story. Yeah, it's a short story. Yeah. Yeah. He was just very literary. Very literary. He, he got yeah. music, rock and roll writing out of the ghetto of love songs. Yeah, basically. man. Yeah, he came out of that kind of Doc Palmas tradition of, of songwriting. Yeah, you know. Yeah, bro uh, building. Type. Were you at Doc Palmas' funeral? Uh, no, I was not at Doc's end? funeral. Oh, okay, I was not at Doc's funeral. Were you? No, Jimmy Vivino, we had him right. on, and he told the story where Lou came up at that funeral yeah. and and complained about something, and then... Sounds right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Doc wouldn't want to hear the oompa, 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 or whatever it was. I live in um, in Amagansett, you know, on Long Island, uh-huh. and uh, Lou and Laurie Anderson uh, had a house there, you know. Right. And uh, I'd see Lou out there sometimes. Yeah. So that was very different. Yeah. Seeing him there, you know. In fact, I saw him like, believe it or not, in a kayak one day. Mm. You, you don't think about Lou Reed in a no, kayak. He invited me up there a couple yeah. times, and I never went. And it's one of the biggest regrets of my life yeah. that I didn't go. It was like too busy or some shit, or like you know. But you right. Just, you take people for granted, even when they're Lurie. You know, right. you just do in life. Yeah. You know, you don't. You think people are going to be there forever. Or you think it's hard to get your head around the fact that this is all just passing us by. Man, you it's know, it's just a dream. It is. It is. It's just a dream. Yep. And living in the moment. My daughter's been doing uh, all this research for school about Vincent Van Gogh, and she just actually wrote a little book about him. So we've traveled around in the past few years. We Amsterdam, went to and stuff. Amsterdam, Bruges. Uh, London. We just did a trip to London and Paris. Uh, we went to uh, Ghent, this mm-hmm. town in Belgium, uh, to see. I've been there. See some. You been to Ghent? Yeah, I've been. I mean, touring Europe. You yeah, know, Belgium. It's a big one. Belgium's great. Yeah, I love Belgium and all that. I really like Antwerp. Antwerp. My favorite European city. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing city. Yeah. Cafe life. Mm-hmm. They got it big time. But anyway, we, you know, we were looking at all these paintings and, and I really started getting that sense of, of just the time passing by and, you know, 
Like I just, uh, I'm on. You can't see this on the radio, oh, right, or your, sprained, sprained. but I'm on a. I got a little the boot on. I I just sprained my ankle. I fell off a ladder. I was up on a ladder, and then I wasn't up on the ladder. Well, that's what the way that happens, man. It was, and the ladder didn't even fall down. <laughs> no, oh, really? You yeah. just fell. I don't even know what happened. I was about 15 <laughs> feet up, blacked in, out in the basement. And all of a sudden, I was flying through the air. And you know that cliche of people say time slows down? Oh, yeah, time yeah. does slow down. It does slow down. I had time in the air to think, think about, about the what fact. was going on. Yeah. And I turned myself so I wouldn't land on my hands. Mm-hmm. Good call. Yeah, but man, I hurt my foot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's going to be fine, you know. But uh, thank it, God it was just that. It could have been way worse. Yeah. It could have been way worse. Cool shoes, man. What are those? Those are my barefoot running shoes. Those are great. I've been getting into this barefoot running. Yeah. Well, the, the concept is like um, your feet are incredible technology. Right. And the running shoes, like the padded ones, basically take out your feet. And so you end up heel striking more and delivering shock to your knees and your hips more. So it's actually counterintuitively more dangerous is what the theory is. I'm still right. breaking into barefoot running, so yeah. I'm I'm the the verdict's still out for me. But I went on a run today in these, and you just run more gazelle like, and it's basically like just kind of makes running more interesting too. Really? Yeah. yeah, because the the brain arose to facilitate movement. That's what some biologist told me. Kind of makes sense. And yeah, because only like. Only organisms that move have brains, like plants and stuff don't have brain. Like, and there's they even, don't need a brain because they, they don't, don't have brain. to move. Yeah. They don't have to move. So there's an organism in the sea that even does have a brain in the early part of its life when it's moving, and then it attaches to a certain rock or something, and that's where it's going to be forever. And it digests, it, or it in like it whatever it digests its whole nervous system and digests its brain. Basically, it gets rid of the brain once it doesn't need to move anymore. So when you think of it like, okay, the whole purpose of your brain is to facilitate movement. You get your best ideas when, when you're, you're running yes. or when you're in yoga or when you're, you know, even guitar playing, yep. it's all movement. I get Every, ideas when I'm walking. I like to walk far, right. you know? Yeah, you go on long, yeah, long, long, long New walks. York walks. And you think of stuff. You think it's like yeah. inspirations pop in. That's great. Yeah, like when some when he told me that it blew my mind. I was like, it, it made sense because I was getting into boxing and all these yeah. things. And there's still this part of you that goes, "Oh, you're kind of like you know, like if you're into exercise, there's something like, oh, that's like kind of superficial, or you're, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Anti-intellectual or like no, but, but it's, it's not, not. But it's the opposite. All. It's the opposite. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about like the barefoot running. The the great African runners, uh, right? The Jamaican There's that, guys. that book of the Mexican tribe. Mexican they that, start out running barefoot. Oh yeah, the Mexicans. Run, yeah, the did you see that little? Um, yeah, Born to Run is the name of the book. Did you see the thing on Netflix about the the woman who's the champion down there in uh, in the uh, uh, what's it? What do they call that down below Mexico? The the Gulf. No, the part going down to South America, the land, the Anyway, this woman is like the champ runner. Long, she runs 64 miles. Yeah. 60, barefoot. She does it barefoot? Barefoot, man. She's always running barefoot. Yeah. It's, 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 you would think it would be more prone to injury, but 
the idea is that it's not. It's not. You, you have to build it up. You have to build up these different sure. muscles. But also just in yoga with balancing, once I started using walking around and running around in these kind of shoes, all yeah. my balancing postures was better because my feet, like all these little tiny muscles start developing and then you can kind of like, I don't know. It's kind of fun. They'd be great for stage too. I like real, well, yeah. flat, real. I wore, loose. I wore these. I did two shows at City Vineyard, uh, January first and second this year, and I wore these. Uh huh. And they were great for yeah. the pedals and for because like, I, I also have a stomp board, so it kind of like makes that kind of a little bit more sensitive. Right. Right. You know, like you can feel everything. Have you ever carried a band, or you always do the yeah. one man thing? Yeah. No, I have. Okay. I have. Yeah, and I got a band going with Peter Buck called okay. Arthur Buck. Really? Yeah, and that's like a rock and roll outfit. Oh, that's great. Tell him I said hi. I will. Did I you know him from Saturday Night Live. You know. Did they, oh, when they came on? They were on several times, yeah. Yeah. Great guy. So, do you got any good Saturday Night Live stories? I'm like, sure I do. But wait, while I'm yeah. thinking of it, I got to ask you something. Okay. In, in, in your <laughs> song, uh, Run Away Tonight, To the Shores, of freedom. Oh, honey in the moon. Honey in the moon. To the shores of freedom. Yeah, where no one lives. It is where no one lives. Yeah. That's the right lyric. Yeah. That's so great, man. <laughs> Thank you. That's so, that's so, um, well, you're a real optimist, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> freedom where no one lives. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I get it. <laughs> All right, anyway. What well, you, you gotta, you me? gotta mix the light and the you dark. You do the light and the dark. That's you know, it, it can't be There are two all. paths you yeah. can go by. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I appreciate you knowing my work, man. I'm a, I'm very. How could you not? I'm very honored. I try to pay attention to the good stuff. Yeah, I appreciate. No, Taylor, that. When, when when your very first record came out, my wife Taylor heard it, heard that record, and she got it, the CD, and she's like, "Listen to this. Listen to these songs, mm -hmm. and the sound." Right. You know, like I said, you were the first guy to do that. Yeah. Songs with that, and it's great. It's great. I watched a video of you. Um, the other night where you where you do it you do the thing you've got a kind of like a acoustic little telecaster with paint on it and stuff and you yeah the uh you, you the build acoustasonic up, yeah the you, fender acoustasonic you build up the the thing you show it mm -hmm. on it's the video what we shot yeah. Coney Island, baby. sounds like it what's the song black and white might be the video that you saw yeah, we filmed, uh, we've, we filmed, we filmed like stuff. five songs so it yeah could be but any the, one of those. it's really cool because it shows you building up the yeah. thing and then you start singing it. And the reverbs, you always were great with reverbs. Thanks, you know, man. With your vocals, yeah. the backing vocals. Yeah. And those backing vocals that you do that are kind of um, full voice whispers. Yeah. Barely tonally uh, in line with the song. Yeah. But they are, but, it's, but it makes, it gives it that like ominous thing mm -hmm. against maybe a light, very major key. Yeah. Uh, musical thing that's happening, a very major key melody that you're singing, then you put this ominosity in with it, mm -hmm. with those backing vocals yeah. and the reverbs. I love it. Oh, thanks, Very man. cool way to put records together. Thank you. Were, yeah. you. were you at all a Chris Whitley fan? Did you know Chris? I got to meet him. Uh, I'm a fan, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And my friend Kenny recorded, like I think, his last album up at Old Soul in Catskill. I, but, liked, uh, I liked Chris's. I liked Chris. I, I knew him from Carmine Street, from mm -hmm. the guitar shop there, Rick right. Kelly's place. And uh, a few times I, I met him in there, and then we would go for walks, you know, and just talk about stuff. Not music, you know, just stuff. Yeah. 
and he was he was a deep guy. And you know that the big the and one. His daughter is like a superstar. She's good, man. Yeah, she's real good. Real good. Trixie Whitley, right? Is it? Yeah, she's so. really good. But the, you know the biggest record he had was that Big Sky Country, mm-hmm. which of course he said he hated. Oh, did he? That produced version of it. Yeah. Which made it palatable for radio. Right. You know, you still hear it yeah. on the radio all the time. You know, yeah. I just heard um, your song the other day. Uh, there's there's a, a radio station out at the end of Long Island, WPPB. Oh, okay. And they play your stuff all the time. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Shout out WPPB. Yeah, I'm, pu- I'm putting together a new record right now. I just, uh, I, oh, just yeah? I just made a SoundCloud of 20 songs. Uh, that I sent to my manager to help me weed through them, and then I'm gonna like get onto a writing kick this week. Great, write a few more. I think it's like good to wake up and try to do like, let me just get a song recorded today. Let yeah. me write and record yeah. a song today, and get up and get that morning energy onto it. That is good, you know. That is good. You gotta discipline yourself nowadays, man. There's too many distractions. I have a, uh, a record that, that will be coming out this year. We got a deal with BMG. Nice. And uh, I've always been looking for a singer. I've been looking for 30 years uh-huh. for the right singer. Yeah. And again, Taylor, my wife, I got to give her all the credit. She found this guy, Leroy Bell. His mm-hmm. name is. He's from Seattle. Mm-hmm. And he's been putting out CDs. It's a good name. Yeah, great name. Yeah. Great name. Leroy Bell. And Leroy he writes Bell. real good songs. And um, so we've recorded... Uh, a record of stuff and stuff you wrote or you wrote together he, he wrote we wrote some together and there's one one of my songs on there i wrote a song called arts sick mm-hmm. it won't get better yeah you, know, you want to play it <laughs> yeah sure i can play arts sick okay it's um it's silly very uh uh props to lou reed you know yeah. Deb, you'll hear it you'll okay. hear it Art's sick, it won't get better You could hang it on the wall Or you can put it in a plane and fly it all around the world Yeah, all around the world Art's sick, it won't recover A disheartening prognosis saddens every true art lover All around the world, yeah, all around the world Where did Vincent Van Gogh? I see art in the museum in yellow, green, and blue, but I don't see too much happening after 1962. sick. Don't call it doctor. We need an artist to emerge with new ideas to unlock and fly us all around the world, yeah, all around the world. All around the world, yeah, all around the world. All around the world, yeah, all around the world. All around the world, yeah, all around the world. And so on. <laughs> 
That's great. Thank you, man. I love it. Thank you. I love your you voice, hear, too. You, thanks. You hear the Lou thing. Oh, yeah. It's got right? some Lou influence, Lou, for sure. Bowie. Yeah. Hey, did yeah. you see the David Byrne show that's up on 44th Street? Not yet. Man. Is it killing? It's killing. I, I Like, I was kind of uh, strong-armed into going, uh-huh. you know, because I don't like to go to stuff right. too much. You know, it's hard for me to be <laughs> in the audience after being on stage for so much. Yeah. It is astonishingly good. What's that called? I don't know. David Byrne. He, David. I'm sure it has some name, but David I don't know Byrne. what it is. On Broadway kind of thing? Yeah, kind of thing. Man, it's so good. He's got a 12-piece. I hesitate to even call it a band. He's got 12, 11 other people Performers. up there with him. There's no sit-down drummer. Mm-hmm. There's seven percussionists. Mm-hmm. Then also a bass player. American and, Utopia. Amer- there you go. Okay. And it's it's just... It's so good. I mean, I always really respected uh, uh, David. I used to see Talking Heads there in the late 70s, you know, when, like around the time probably that they recorded the first record. They, they were playing in places, yeah. you know, downtown. And I, I saw them a few times. And, and uh, it was interesting because that was a sort of a period of not, being, not trying to be a virtuoso. Right. On your instrument. You yeah, know, it was like the punk rock, the CBGBs. And it was that world, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't see him at CBs. I, I, I always have in my mind, there was a place right up the street from CBs called Great Gildersleeves. Uh-huh. And I always have in my mind that I saw them there. And I don't know if that's right or if I'm like conflating different memories, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a lot of, those were different times. Mm-hmm. But um, I always admire what he did. But anyway, that show is great. Great stuff. So anyway, we have this record that we've done me and Leroy Bell and uh, his songs are nothing like that he's got real songs you know that's a real one well that's a uh, uh, a frivolous little exercise and Lou would like that I think and I, I feel bad though about that I say that there hasn't been any good art since 1962 yeah. it just it just it, you know it scanned right it phrased out yeah. right so I use yeah. that number I got a lot of painter friends I man. know I'm a painter I, okay I, 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 well, you know I took a, <laughs> I took note. Of that I don't line. mean I'm like, that. Hey man, you got to I don't mean that. No, no, but come on. And so Every, anyway, everybody this, gets it. That's fine. We got this. I hope, I hope people <laughs> take on, it people in, get, in the people, humorous spirit. People that it was, know that it is. That was one of those songs <laughs> that um, I had had that idea mm-hmm. ever since the early '80s. Art's sick. It won't get better. I had that line, and I carried it around, carried it around, and then we were in the studio. I was working on. Finishing up some, our our little band is called Stony Hill mm-hmm. on BMG. Should be out in a couple months. The first rec, the first song should come out in a couple months. Um, I was in the studio and there was just some time left over, and I thought, boy, could I ever do anything with Art Sick? And I came up with those, which are those same old chords but different somehow. Yeah, there's something that's different about that's it. That's a right? riff. Yeah, it sounds yeah. good. And um, it in an hour. Yeah. It was done. Best songs are like yeah. that. It just it? it just came out of the blue. Do you know you ever hear Towns Van Zant, the Texas oh, guy? Fuck yeah, dude. You know that song Poncho and Lefty? Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Living on the road, my friend. Supposed to keep you free and clean, but now you wear your skin like iron and your breath's as hard as kerosene. You know, what a great song that yeah. is, right? He's I saw this interview with him once. He said, they said, well, Towns, how did you write Poncho and Lefty? He said, well, I was walking down the road, 
And I was walking past the cemetery, and that song flew out of the cemetery and hit me in the head. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That is funny. I know what he means. Yeah. But um, (laughs) what's the album called? The album, the Stony Hill. It's just called Stony Hill. Stony Hill. Yeah, Stony Hill. Are you guys gonna tour? Are we gonna tour? Yes, we are. We're gonna tour as much as they let us. Um. But there's some really good songs on that. On this your fourth solo album, or was it? Well, this is a band. It's a band. It's not a solo album. No, I've done um, three solos. Have I? I don't even know. That's that's I was forced to do all of them. If your Wikipedia page is right, Paul Simon sang backup vocals on your. Paul Simon did sing on one of the songs. I I got to be friendly with Paul when I was in that, you know, Lauren Michaels. Saturday Night Live people world Mm -hmm. you know Lauren and Paul have been great friends for a long time what was that like being in that world it was it was um, it was wonderful but I always thought like 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 the usurper you know like like the the drifter at the party you did yeah you didn't come off like that you look like the ringleader of the party no not at all man not at all um I don't know. You must know that feeling like, like you always think everybody Imposter else. Imposter syndrome. You always think everybody else is cooler than you. Yeah. You know, and I always love, uh, there's a Dylan song, The Wicked Messenger. Mm-hmm. While everybody knelt to pray, the drifter did escape. Mm. I was like, oh, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great line. Oh, man. He's got Fuck. so many great lines. There, mm. there was a woman who used to come to the shows and and she would be like corral me outside, you know, getting on the bus and stuff, and ask me questions. And I'd always say, I don't know what the lyrics mean. I didn't write the song, you know. Mm-hmm. Just because I'm in the band doesn't mean I don't know what the man meant, you know. But um, she she was writing a book about people's favorite Bob Dylan lines, mm-hmm. and it's like impossible, you yeah. know. Which which one do you pick? There's hundreds of them yeah. that are so great. I got this new one I'm working on called To the Contenders. This one goes out to the contenders. I like it. Right? Yeah. Isn't that good? Yeah. Yeah. Past the great walls and the great pretenders. Great. I've, something along those lines. I don't know. But Do I like it, the idea. Because so many people feel that contenders. way. Contenders. You know? Yeah. This one goes out to the contenders. The contenders. Yeah. Did you ever actually have conversations with Dylan where you would ask him about? Or did you like geek out ever and like, hey, what did you mean? I geeked out more about Good guitars question. he had played and stuff. I didn't want to bother him about right. about that, you know. Um, yeah. I did have one uh, great conversation with him one time on the bus about. I said, man, that must have been hard in the 60s when, when they like made you out as the savior of the Western world, mm-hmm. you know? And he said something like, man, I just wrote some songs. Yeah. I just wrote some songs. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> he wrote great songs. Yeah. And, but boy, people do put stuff, you know, I worked with Roger Waters for a few years. We did yeah, the wall. road with him. Right? Yeah, all over the world. Amazing. Uh, the travel was, amazing top that notch tour. i thought i had done you know big tours before but the way the english guys do it is is next level military precision backstage you know there was uh, it was huge too there was uh, i think 177 people on, on the crew on the road that's insane 
huge number of buses and and semi trucks and stuff because it was a giant production you mm -hmm. know but but the places that we went you know we went uh to romania and bulgaria and you know the places where you don't always get to go with every band yeah. you know so that that was really fun but were you playing the guitar solos too no no i was not a great guitar player named dave kilminster okay. was there and his job was to do the the Get gilmore the Gilmore stuff he had it perfect he did the tones it's about the, that reverb too it's, it's like that a, long it's reverb. that long several different long reverbs decay. at once long decays short decays yeah. at the same time right david gilmore was a brilliant at putting that stuff oh, together what a sound i got to i got to talk to gilmore a couple of times because he came and sat in you know and he said he said, I would just go in and play blues solos. Yeah, they are essentially blues solos. They're essentially blues solos. Like, like the great solo on Another Brick in the Wall, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And he said, if you listen to that, he said, I'm just playing the blues. Yeah. And he said that when he did it, it was just the bass line. He just played over the bass line. The... D minor. Agitation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He said that's all he had was the bass line. And that later they put the synth chords on it and stuff. There's all these changes. But he just played against the bass line. Yeah. And he said if you really listen to the solo and listen to those changes, there's places where they grate against each other and it's wrong notes. Yeah. But nah, it's so iconic now that I don't hear it as no. wrong notes. But that's what he told me. But anyway, the thing I was going to say is that that Pink Floyd music, Bob's music, I guess Beatles music, you yeah. know? Stones. Some of the Stones stuff. People, some people get it in their head that they wrote those songs for them. Yeah. There were a few guys that quit their jobs, sold their houses. One guy got divorced and followed the wall tour all over the world. This last one that you just the, did. the one that I was on from 2010 to like 2000. I mean, it was big to a lot of people. Yeah, but quit your house. Yeah. I mean, quit your job, <laughs> sell your quit house. your wife. Get divorced. <laughs> That's too big. Honey, I'm going out and following the I'm going the on wall. the road. Yeah. I'm going on the road for years. I don't know how, how long or where we're going. I'm, That's extreme, man. That's. Yeah. That but people are drawn to music in this yeah, wild are. fucking way, man. They are. You know, and if and, and and if you weren't drawn into it to the point where you make it, that fandom becomes almost an art form. It or, started with the Beatles. It started with Beatlemania. Yeah. You know, that's where this thing started. I know that there were people that were huge Frank Sinatra fans, mm -hmm. but it wasn't like this. It wasn't like that. This right. obsession with the lyric. And people get to, they believe... There were people that believed Bob wrote just like a woman, woman for them. Right. Because of them. Bob had never met them or knew yeah. anything about them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I've, I've, even I've encountered some of that. Like, I bet you, you know, have. Yeah, just if you write intensely personal things, right. you know, it hits people in an intensely personal way. Yeah. And they can't fathom that they weren't involved somehow, you know, in that. But I mean, like, even the whole universe is like that. I mean, I walk around and I see, like, 
you know, recurring numbers and like, and I, and I, you know, I have the, the, the way I like denote it is, okay, this is not mental illness is if there's a shadow of a doubt that like, okay, if I think the universe is definitely communicating to me, I'm a hundred percent, a hundred percent about that. I feel like that kind of veers into maybe mental illness. But if you're like, maybe the universe is communicating to me, I feel like that's healthy. Because I think the universe is communicating to us, and in a, in a myriad of ways, you know. I'm glad you mentioned this. Yeah. <laughs> My thing. Yeah. Is I call it seeing extra stuff. Right. Okay. I yeah, see like synchronicity. extra stuff. Yeah, like synchronicities. And I'm a cra- bus goes by with a fucking sign that's exactly answering a question you have in your head at that very moment that type of thing right? well no for me it's more like i see extra stuff like <laughs> what's I, the I, extra stuff well like one time i was at the corner of uh 24th mm-hmm. uh, uh like like by madison park fifth avenue yeah 24th street and a guy came around the building and flicked his cigarette perfectly over into the garbage can but when I looked at the guy, he had on like a bowler hat and stuff. He was from about 1890. Mm-hmm. He wasn't from right. 2011 or whatever year it was that right. this happened. I see stuff like that. I'm crazy. I know that I'm crazy. But I'm not so crazy that I try to interact with this stuff. Oh, okay. Kind of like what you were saying. Yeah. You know the universe is communicating with you. Yeah. But you don't then try but, to yeah i don't i don't put, i don't chase the rainbow right. <laughs> yeah like right. i'm like i leave like a, a, an element of like maybe not maybe that's just <laughs> that number again over and over and over again but like and i don't like what what gives but so when you see the guy with the mm. cigarette from the 1800s is there a guy there at all, or is there no, no. guy? No guy for real. Well, for me there was a guy, but no, for, there was no for real guy who flipped a cigarette into the garbage can. Right. No. Interesting. But I. I How often do you see stuff? It's random. Not every day. No. No. It's and it's random. It, stuff. Stuff will come. You know. Yeah. But um, I'm I'm not so crazy that I try to interact with it. Right. I know. I can tell the ones that are the. The stuff that I call it, the yeah. extra stuff. That's what the, I call the it. spiritual plane. It's stuff. always been there since I was a little kid. Yeah, yeah. When I was a little kid, if I like got in trouble, you know, mm-hmm. and and my mom said you just go in your room for fifteen minutes and think about what you just did, you know, uh-huh. I'd go in my room and then I would. There'd be a party in there. No, I'd leave. Oh, you could ask. I would go out and there was a big pine tree on a hill where yeah. all the kids would meet and play. I'd go to the pine tree, but I'd still be in my room. Mm-hmm. If my mom came, I'd still be. Sitting there, you know. Then at some point, that's I realized, called astral projection, right? But I realized that it was impossible. Well, I don't think it is impossible. I mean, you I know think what like, I mean. I do know what you mean. Yeah. But I think that's something called astral projection. Yeah, I've read about that stuff. So, I don't know, man. You know, I mean, do you believe in like? Well, also, I wanted to ask you about the fact that you manifested. Like, okay, you loved Bob Dylan. You manifested that whole reality that you wound up with Bob Dylan. Do you think, do you think about how your power of manifestation and all that kind of stuff? I do believe that if you get, if you're a true believer in something, whatever it happens to be, like I'm a big vintage guitar guy. Right. Okay. Starting from back in the sixties when there were no vintage guitars, they were just used guitars and they weren't even that old. Right. Back then. (laughs) Um, I have drawn into my immediate surroundings thousands of these vintage guitars right that are really rare yeah 
you know? Yeah, what a collection. Here's, here's a great story, man. You must have. Uh, I want to tell it, people it, where that warehouse is. When <laughs> no, <laughs> don't tell well, them. Guitar FOMO I get rid of days. I get rid of a lot of them, too. Yeah. I don't, you know, there's not as many as there used to be. But um, <laughs> when I was with Bob in 1989, we were in Louisiana. And a guy, people, dealers used to bring guitars, you know, right. to, to try to sell to Bob. And uh, so the guy, and he had this really really rare gibson one of the first gibson acoustic guitars it's from 1905 it's 18 inches it's a great big thing um very super rare there's like three or four of them known right they're in the old catalogs but they just didn't get sold or they didn't make it to the modern times whatever only three or four of them around. So I bought the guitar from the guy. Now, the, the guitar had been living in Louisiana. The back was separated from the humidity. It needed some work. It was playable, but ratty, you know, not so good. But it was such a cool thing. So I got it. So it's on the bus for a while, and then we finally get back, and I'm, I'm here in the city, and I give it to a guy who's going to fix, fix it, it for up. me. Mm-hmm. This is probably like, so I bought the guitar in 89. I probably gave the guy the guitar in 91, 92, something like that. Mm-hmm. A few years go by, and I'm thinking, I, I better call that dude about yeah, that, guitar. that guitar. His phone's not working anymore. Oh, no. So, oh, can't find it. It's only worth 500 grand or no, something. No, you know, it's valuable guitar, but right. not crazy. <laughs> not crazy, okay. Some of the electrics are crazy. Right? Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'd give up eventually. I think, well, it's just one of those things. It's gone. You know, you're never going to see that one again. Mm-hmm. That's happened before. I've loaned people guitars and never seen the guitar again mm-hmm. several times. So um, time goes by, time goes by, time goes by. In just this past year, 2019, in the spring, Taylor, is that you? Yeah, come on in here and sit down. Hey, Taylor. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Taylor Barton, my wife. Taylor Martin? Barton. Barton. Taylor Barton. There you go. Joseph smoked one of my cigars. I'm still smoking it. Sorry about that. Is that okay? You're looking good. (laughs) Thank you. I haven't seen you since uh, Boulder. Oh. I I was at the same radio convention with you at Boulder when you blew everybody away with your first album. Oh, okay. (laughs) I remember that. It's like... I don't know, maybe twenty years. Ago. I wasn't there that yeah. year, was I? No. no. Thank, thank you. You were. You were. Was that amazing. when you first heard him? Yeah. And you brought the CD home. That's where I first heard him. But yeah. um, what I thought was so amazing was the DJs, which I myself was terrified to go to that thing. Yeah. With you know five hundred DJs, um, I'd rather jump out a window. Yeah. Uh, were like, oh my god, this guy's so great. I remember watching you in that. Uh, the middle stage outside the hotel and you were so good and I was like I came home and I said I just saw this most amazing guy was he playing alone yeah you yeah. were With alone the loops. and you I think it was um, it wasn't Redemption Son it was something else come to where I'm from yeah yeah and, the one uh, T-Bone Burnett produced yep T-Bone I, Burnett produced that yeah yeah, yeah. I know T-Bone you, you yeah. yeah so I, I I told you I was like this guy's unbelievable thank you so it's it, I was so excited when 
Broza said, "Come." Yeah. Yeah, David Broza. Oh, David Broza. Yes, okay. that's I buddy. reached out to him. Oh, and cool. Asked, yeah. Oh, that's he's awesome. He's a friend. He's been on the. You know podcast. Broza? Yeah. Yeah, he's. I awesome. went to Israel with Broza. Oh, I know. Yeah. And yeah. as you probably know, you guys in Israel, he's like a combination of Dylan and Springsteen yeah. and Paul Simon. He's yeah. Huge. When he walks down the street in Tel Aviv. Old ladies come out of their house with a plate of cookies. Bros, bros, eat, eat. For real. Yeah. For real, man. It's amazing. Yeah. He's yeah. been around the block. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's so that funny. Townsend connection, too. Right? So Got the Towns connection. We produced that record. We, yeah, we did that. She record. and I produced that record. For oh, him. you did? Which yeah. I thought was a really good record. It's an amazing story. What's How, the how he came about that because he got the lyrics that were in a shoebox. Right. And then uh, GE and I produced it. Uh huh. And did the musical Taylor did the. I did the. The heavy lifting part. Yeah. You did. Did you write some of the music with him? No. No. David, Towns wrote all the music. No. Oh, no, no, Towns no. Towns wrote, wrote, the, wrote the words. David yeah, wrote the, the music. Oh, the music. Oh, right. David wrote the music. Yeah. Yeah. For anyone That's, curious, he tells the story on the podcast, whatever episode. It yeah. He goes into. The, he told us the whole how it took years yeah. and crazy yeah. story. And then Steve Earle came out with uh, Towns. Almost at the same time. And they were both represented by Danny Goldberg. So it was, it was an interesting. One of those head-to-head things. <laughs> we had Goldberg weird. on the podcast. too. Yeah, him. last week or we something like that. Him. Yeah, yeah. He's great. the best. He's a great dude. Yep, he yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah, he managed me for a second. Yeah. And then, you know, we kind of parted ways but stayed friends. Yeah. So that's one of those. That's good. That's good when you can stay. Yeah. Stay cool. He's got a good ear. <laughs> yeah. He does. And he heard you too. <laughs> yeah. So you're a producer as well. I or, am. How did you guys meet? Saturday Night Live. We met Live. Saturday Night Live. Oh, Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And what were you doing on Saturday Night Live? Uh, dancing, singing, and anything they needed. I was basically trying to get my insurance money every weekend. Right. For uh, union. Yeah. Health insurance and yeah. all that. Yeah. After health insurance. Yeah. I was yeah. not interested in any kind of comedian stuff. I just was basically a theater Yeah, you were girl. a dancer. I was a dancer and a singer and a writer, mm-hmm. but I, I got on that show because my friend was the producer, so I would go on the weekends and see all the cool music every week, which mm-hmm. was really inspiring, and then I met GE. Yeah. The front man of yep. the organization. <laughs> yes. And yeah. then, then he, the show went on strike, and he, he started uh, his tour with Dylan. Mm-hmm. So that was like a, a major uh, learning experience for me because then we were we got together and I went on the road and watched a bunch of shows, bunch of shows, and got you know, to hang out with Bob. Well, I don't I don't think people really hang out with Bob, but I got to learn a lot from Bob. Yeah, what'd you learn? Songwriting. Oh, songwriting. Great songwriting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think he is one of the best writers out there. Yeah. He performs them. Differently every single night. Yeah, he's on fire lately. I guess that's yeah. what I. That's the word on the street. Yeah, I and heard. It, uh, yeah, I heard his Beacon shows were amazing. That's what I heard. I didn't yeah. get get to one, but me neither. Not this year, but usually I try. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway. Yeah. We were playing at the Beacon when I was working with him. We did like four or five nights, you know. And I guess the last night, he says. The last song, whatever it was, he says, I'm going to play harmonica at the end. And I'm going to walk down off the stage. And no matter what I do, you guys keep playing. And you keep playing. Jeff, the manager, Jeff Kramer, he said, he'll give you the signal from the side of the stage when it's time to stop playing. But you keep playing no matter what I do. You keep playing, right? So 
he's got a wireless microphone. He never used a wireless microphone. Never. But uh, we get to the end of the song. He's playing harmonic. He's got the wireless mic. He walks down off the stage, and he's like walking up the side aisle. And all of a sudden, he pushes on one of the doors, and he goes out. He goes outside onto Broadway. <laughs> still playing. And he, he's still playing. But at some point, you know, it's not picking up anymore. The radio signal's not getting through the walls of the he beacon. He walked too far away. Walked too far away. Well, come to find out, he went out and hailed a cab. Left. And left. He left. And we just kept playing, and then I finally got to say, he must have, like, called Jeff on his phone, you know, okay, tell him to stop. You know. That's unfucking believable What an excellent. Like, what the hell? Classic. It's like... Yeah, Man, they don't it. make them like that no. anymore. That's some showbiz. That is showbiz right there. Yeah. I heard you talk about Saturday Night Live days where you said there was like like the the it was like a collegiate sort of atmosphere, like a college atmosphere. That's where, what it felt like to and me. And there was like good, you know, like the troublemakers. Yes. And the, you know, the teacher's pets and shit. There were like the good that. kids and there were the and troublemakers. And definitely. you and Chris Farley were like part of the We were in the troublemaker. The troublemakers. Room definitely. Yeah. yeah, Farley was like like I knew John Belushi too. Right, you know? I was yeah. actually like pretty friendly with John. And John, people would say John would do anything yeah. to get a laugh. Yeah, Farley would do anything, anything, anything beyond what I can talk about. Right, <laughs> but yeah. man, you'd laugh. Yeah, people would laugh. I never just tears in your eyes laughing. You know, yeah. he was he was. Uh, but he would he would he would go further than than anybody, and those a lot of those guys will go far. Right, Farley would, amazing. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, can you ask you a question? Yeah, of course. What was that? Uh, in the uh, the, in the song, song. Uh, I think of you in the yeah, song. Yeah, I picture yeah. picture, you, the, the, picture you in the song. I love that song. Thank you. Who, who was that about? Oh, well, that was that was actually um, a a young girl died of cancer from my hometown, yeah. and I had found out about that, and that was just in my head. It's, and then, so I like came up with that line: "I picture you in the sun, so one, wondering what went wrong, yeah, and falling down on your knees, it asking just, for sympathy, and being caught in between." What you wish for and what you've seen. Such a smart trying to song. find anything you can feel that you can believe in. May God's love God be with you. you. Michael Stipe Did said Peter that Gabriel was the covered song. that. Peter Gabriel covered it, yeah. He he put out his version before I put my version out on an Elton John tribute album. And, so cool. And, and, and then the the yeah, the singer from Madonna's band, uh, there's a beautiful what's her name? Uh Dorian somebody she was a backup singer for Madonna. Mm -hmm. Have you heard that version? No. Oh my God, I gotta send it to you. Oh, send me that. That's it, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's Picture. killer. Man. She was about to sing. <laughs> yeah. <Were you>? yeah. <laughs> Picture. Wondering what went wrong. Falling down on your knees Asking for sympathy And being caught in between All you wish for and all you've seen And trying to find anything You can feel 
that you can believe in make God's love be with you always make God's love be with you I know I would apologize if I could see your eyes when you showed me myself you know I became someone else but I was caught in between all you wish for and all you need I picture you fast asleep a nightmare comes that you can't keep away May God's love be with you oh, always. May God's love be with you. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You want my? Uh, I'll give you my phone number or whatever. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Man. Yeah. Great stuff. Thank you, man. Is that the right key? I don't even know. I, like, because I capo it to the third fret. Oh, and play okay. It so that was way low. Play it with cowboy sounded chords. Sounded good. Right. No, it sounded perfect. Like, whatever. So you're doing G minor. Especially I've been smoking this, so my voice yeah. dropped. Yeah. So it sounded good, you know? Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. But, um, yeah, that line, um, I picture you fast asleep, a nightmare comes, yeah. but you can't keep awake. Like, I had originally made that, like, A Nightmare Comes That You Can't Keep Away. And right. Peter Gabriel, when he covered it, he thought I had obviously said A Nightmare Comes That You Can't Keep Awake, which makes the line way better. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're right. That is way better. Well, it was like a give me from him, you but know. it's such a gorgeous song. And, like, look how many, pe- look how many people covered it. Yeah. It's such a smart song and it's it's melodically gorgeous it's a good song. thank you and it comes from soulful. the heart yeah it kills me like i i've i have it on a playlist that i listen to yeah. pretty much once a week for yep. like the last 15 years wow it makes me feel calm oh cool yeah. that's so great to hear yeah, you so should look for the michael stipe song. version thank you oh stipe did it too yeah stipe with chris martin a beautiful, oh really beautiful yeah version. great great version they did it beautiful. for I'll Katrina, when Bang Katrina up. happened, they did it to help. That must with be that. satisfying when when people of that caliber, like Gabriel and and Michael Stipe. And, yeah, uh, you know when yeah. they cover your song, that's great, man. It is great. It is great, but it's probably a lot like you being doing all that you've done. Like on some level, like people ask you about it, and it's great. But on some level, you must be sort of like almost like viewing yourself as a character. Like oh, yeah. You're kind of removed from it, too. It's yes. like, it's so amazing. Yo, I've watched that but, guy do all that stuff. Right, yeah. yeah. For like, sure. But there's part of you that can't take it on as you or something. You, you know, know, in 1979, uh, Peter Gabriel asked me to join his band when I had first started the first tour that we did in England That's with, with Daryl and John. Yeah. And Murata was in the band, Jerry Murata. And um, he had been playing with Peter, mm-hmm. and uh, he asked me to join the band, and I was torn, you know. But that boy, that would have been a whole different life. I would have had to move to England. I would have liked that. Yeah, <laughs> let's get out of here. That was yeah. years before I even met you, baby. That's all right, I yeah. would have showed up. 
Yeah, you yeah. would have manifested. I would have manifested. Yeah. That's interesting. So that was in when, 79? 79, I think, yeah. So that was pre... Oh, so you were already with Daryl Hall and John. I was with Daryl and John, yeah. So how how seriously... 79 or 80. Yeah, that, they were both headed for success. Yeah. Anyway. Big. But, but, uh, but I think, uh, yeah, you probably made the right call. Sticking with Daryl Hall and John Oates. I don't know. No, no. I, I mean, I wanted I'm a to, huge Peter Gabriel fan yeah. too, so I'm not saying that. I wanted to stay in town. I'm just saying, like you know, I, like, I wanted to stay in town. Yeah, in, in, in New York City. I, I, yeah. I couldn't leave town. That that was the feeling. How much is New York City a part of of you? Like in terms of, did you ever think of moving to L.A. or anything like that? Or mm, you just you no. love New York? You guys are yeah, very New York. I'm a New York City guy, for sure. But you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and I knew yeah. that I needed to come to New York. Right. But I was. I was chicken. Man. Uh-huh. I didn't have the guts. So I went to Connecticut first. I yeah. went to the New Haven area and was up man, there. That is chicken shit. It is, man. <laughs> it is. Wow. Um, but, but I got in a good band up there Yeah. called the Scratch Band. And we played, um, I played with them for like six years, six and a half years. And we did every song that there was, you mm-hmm. know, just every kind. Because we had, it was a, it was a, power trio it was like the who but instead of just having roger daltrey we also had a woman who sang too mm-hmm. so we had this guy bob orsi and a stand-up female singer this girl chris Ullman. Mm-hmm. and the two singers plus the bass player was a good singer could sing harmony so they had like strong three-part harmony like a fleetwood mac vibe but but with the who yeah yeah but you know with, behind them fleetwood who fleetwood who yeah it was kind of like that <laughs> and and um, I, I i just the who other fleetwood. day <laughs> the other day i saw my calendar from 1975 uh-huh. we did 245 shows in connecticut nah, uh-huh. without leaving connecticut that's crazy yep because there used to be a huge, huge bar band scene. That's funny. You know? And then 77, disco came along. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. Yeah. Over. 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 Yeah. I heard you say that, like, that's what you brought to Saturday Night Live. Like, good rock, bar rock and bar roll. Bar band. Bar Definitely. band rock and roll. Definitely. That I'm aesthetic. a bar band guitar player. Yeah. That's, that's where I come from. Right. Know? And, uh, like, when we were just playing your song, right? Yeah. So when we got to that second verse, I started... Yeah, you you putting a little rhythm to it. I, you, <laughs> it doesn't you, really go in it. Yeah, but. no, it does though. I wish it was there when we recorded it. You know? The recording's fine. It's thank, beautiful. Thank you. I I have to ask you about the Cleveland Browns thing, right? Because I'm, you know, are you from Ohio? I'm from Akron. From Akron. Oh, cool. And and uh, I'm a big Cleveland Browns fan. So are we. Those poor old Browns. Yeah. We we know the owner. Well, he used to be the owner. Yeah, now he's not the owner anymore. Right, who was it, Art Modell? Randy Lerner. Oh, Randy Lerner. Yeah. How did that come to be, and were you a Pittsburgh Steelers fan being from... No, I wasn't a a sports fan You just didn't give a shit. Yeah, my dad and my my brothers were big football, baseball Didn't Charlie Drayton play with you in that? Charlie played in that band. You know what's so funny is I ended up watching a Super Bowl with Charlie like and some other friends like when the Giants, I think, they Mm -hmm. won or something. And I said that at the end, and Charlie was there, and I was like, you know, yeah, I've been in New York for 20 plus years, but I'm still a Browns fan. And he goes, you are? He goes, but I used to play with G.E. Smith at, at, the, Browns at, at the Browns games, 
And I have, if you want, like a bunch of brown swag. That, oh, he's got stuff, yeah. Dude, he, and then I said, oh my God, absolutely I want that. And so <laughs> I had like this Mackin Browns coat for a while. You got the coat? Thanks, yeah. thanks to you. That coat's amazing. By the way, <laughs> yeah, dude. I get that coat out like twice a year when <laughs> yeah. it's freezing out, when it's really cold. So you know? thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> and Charlie, too. Yeah. yeah. Charlie's the greatest. What a talented guy. He's an amazing dude. Yeah. Yeah. So you just, and it, when you would do that, you would just travel there for the weekend and then come back, or would you? We would just go out to the game. Yeah. Uh, Randy uh, uh, is, a, is a very good friend of mine who owned the team at the time. Yeah. And um, he happens to live near us. Yeah. Him against it. And he's a guitar player. He, he's a really good. Oh, he, so that's the connection. He'd never play in front yeah. of anybody. He's a real good acoustic guitar player. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that was the connection. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then did you write a Browns mantra? We wrote we wrote a Brown song, not the best song that's ever been written, I think. But <laughs> can you play like a little? I bit? can't remember. You can't remember. All right, good. Or well, that's word. enough Browns yeah. talk. Then no. I just had we'll to bring up the Brown shit, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, on on SNL, when you were a musical director, did you decide what bands came on and played? No, I didn't decide it. That was a kind of a. Uh, there was a, several people who oh, would, okay. and you know, the record companies would be lobbying every week for, um, for their bands to be on, for their bands to be on. Now I, I would certainly have some input, you know, into, into what was going to happen. The reason I asked those years you were on the early nineties, like some bands, the SNL performance was what really like launched it or was like a defining moment in their career, like Counting Crows, for instance. Counting Crows, that was a big performance, and yeah. Pearl Jam, Pearl so you Jam. were there for Nirv all that. Nirvana. Nirvana was on twice. Yeah. and uh, that, that was huge. I remember that. They too. were good. I was so into them. They were so good yeah, live. Yeah, it was so good. I mean, they were. I had a, a, a nice talk with Kurt about Lead Belly. Oh, right. You know, because he had gotten deeply into Lead Belly. Mm -hmm. He was thinking about buying Lead Belly's guitar, which I, was some insane amount of money, yeah, you know. Yeah, like a couple he, hundred grand. Yeah, or like maybe at least, more, more. maybe more. Yeah. And, um, and he was thinking about buying, he said, he was like, wow, you know, I said, man, you know, even if you get the guitar, you're not Lead Belly. <laughs> he said, yeah. But um, You talked him down? I don't think I talked him down, but we, t we did talk about it. And, uh, but Dave Grohl... In between songs, like at, at the rehearsal day, you know, on Thursday when they come and do camera blocking and stuff, you know, they'd, they'd play, I know they did Heart Shaped Box, mm -hmm. one, one of the shows, and as soon as they'd finish, Grohl would very quietly sit there and be playing these amazing grooves, like R&B kind of funk, mm -hmm. and I went, oh, this guy's like, legit, this guy's a real drummer. You know, this guy is serious, mm. and he has certainly proved to be. And then Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, who were on several times while yeah, I was there. I remember. And came Dave, on one time, and Dave was playing drums. I remember that one, yeah. And, and he sounded great. That was a big deal then, too, because it was well, like the generations coming together. Definitely, and kind of was like, two cultures clash, you yeah. know. It, it was weird. And, and I said to Dave, you sound great. And he kind of looked at me like, yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with this. You know, we didn't really talk about it, but well, that was after Kurt passed. Yeah, that was that was when Kurt and um, not too long after. Not too long yeah. after, and I remember yeah. thinking like, yeah, Dave Grohl was like considering 
joining Tom Petty's band. Yeah. I think Tom asked him. Yeah, that's what I had heard. That was the, yeah. That's what I had heard. Yeah, there was an interview with him about that. Yeah, yeah. But, then, but then he but established the Foo Fighters. Come on, probably a good call. I think so. Yeah, I, th- I think I think he knew that, that he had he had that Foo Fighters thing in him. Yeah, you know, he had songs, and and but but I remember watching him play in between songs with 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 Nirvana and just thinking this guy's a really. You already knew he was a great drummer, mm-hmm. you know. But I said, this guy's like way more than just this band. Yeah. Because a lot of people, it's hard, you know, if if a very important band like that right. ends for whatever reason, it just breaks up or somebody dies or something, then what do you do after yeah. that? It's very hard for, for to reestablish yourself, and he's done that brilliantly. Yeah, I mean, bigger even than Nirvana, I guess. Well, certainly or- commercially which is unbelievable yeah. because they were at the apex of popularity, really. It was big, but yeah, all those bands, man. Pearl Jam, they were great. Yeah. Live. You know, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were amazing live. Always. Yeah. Every time I've seen them, ever seen them play, they were they were incredible. Would you like see musicians getting ready to do their spot and be like nervous, terrified for the live television aspect? And- no, because by the time people came on, they were they were pretty much pros at it yeah maybe some of the um younger kids younger uh singers yeah. solo singers yeah some of them maybe would be a little weird that guy remember terrence trent darby yeah 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 they would... he, he he was i don't know if he was nervous or what but he he, he freaked seemed out a little not yeah. not freaked out but he was a little you know some of them. the funniest one was um the pogues mm-hmm were on Shane McGowan and uh there was a set for one of the comedy you know it's a very small studio and everything's all jammed together yeah so there's there's the band stage the my my band stage at the time the house band and then there's the guest band stage next to that and uh so the Pogues are coming out ready to do their song and all the comedy sets are jammed around for for when they're going to be used and one of them was like an old west bar room Mm-hmm. You know, the classic wooden, you know, in the bar. And the actor who was playing the bartender, the Old West bartender, was there ready to do his bit, which was probably going to be right after the post song. And as as the poser headed for the stage, Shane sees the bar, bar and he goes over and he, whiskey! <laughs> and the guy kind of looks at me and thinks he's kidding. He wasn't kidding. He wanted yeah. a drink and he wanted it right then. And he's like, this isn't, it's not real. It's tea in there in those bottles, you know. And whiskey! It was a, that was funny. That's funny. <laughs> uh, what else? When the replacements were on, yeah, they might have had a drink or two, right? Before, and uh, the guitar player didn't uh, they get banned after that or something? Oh, I don't think they got banned. I don't think anybody no. ever really got banned. But the guitar player uh, had a little stumble on the way out, and uh, his guitar got broken. Yeah, that was something. On the way, on the way to the stage, on the way to the stage. So what do you do? I don't remember, but we yeah. came. He had another. They had another guitar. We came up with one or something. But right, you know. But I loved. I always loved the replacements. Me know? too. One what of the, great records and great songwriting. Yeah, incredible song. Westerberg, his um, all of his solo stuff. I love it too. Yeah, fourteen songs. All of it. All of it. All yeah, of that the stuff, crazy man. internet shit he puts yep. out. That's like one song, but yeah. it's sixty minutes long. You know that song, Merry Go Round. I don't remember off the top of my head. Merry go I don't know if I know right. the chords. I don't I don't know the chords, but it's great. Merry go round or 
Kiss Me on the Bus. Yeah. That Kiss song. Me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. Yeah, man. Well, we've been going for two hours, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Mean, haven't, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. You like, have to do some serious editing, man. <laughs> nah, no, dude. Either. This was unbelievable. Editing camera-wise. We went, we, okay. We've been going for two hours. Yeah. So this is a long one for us. Yeah. And you yeah. were there for the Sinead O'Connor moment, right? Was there for Sinead. We all were there for what the Sinead. What was the reaction in the actual the studio? The 30th anniversary? Well... In, in the in the, love, no dude. he's talking about at the at the show oh when she oh. ripped up the, the phone yeah the um we knew she was gonna do something but nobody knew what. nobody knew exactly what so it wasn't like a surprise that she did something and as much as um, NBC might want to project this corporate character that was offended yeah they, they love, love it when they that stuff it. happens because yeah. then more people are gonna watch the show yeah you know so. As long as they're talking about you. It don't matter what they say as long as they're talking about you. That's it. That's the oldest show business adage there is. Yeah. I thought you all were talking about when at the 30th anniversary when they booed her. At the Bob Dylan show. Oh. And her big mistake was that she just, she came out and she started something and then she just waited and a smart person would have just launched into the song so they didn't have a chance to... But they they booed her off the stage, yeah. Because that was around the same time, right? That was not too long after, and it was because of that, though. Yeah. 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 Who knew we had a lot of Catholics in the Bob Dylan fan? <laughs> well, I think also just like you know, I don't know. There's something about being a performer and just leaning into awkwardness. You know, like you said, any any anybody with with a brain and she's got one right would have just launched into the song yeah uh but i i have those same instincts on stage where i provoke i like to provoke the audience yeah. it's because that's entertainment like and that's entertainment for me i like awkwardness i but i like it to land yeah like you don't want it to like get it to a sea of booze that that ultimately deliver you off the stage right that's too awkward that that's, that's too that, awful that's too awful <laughs> Let's try to avoid that's that. when that's when awkward goes awful you know but uh but awkwardness where it's uh, you're on that tightrope where there's a lot of tension and the audience feels weird and you feel weird and then it go and then it explodes into something great to me that's a great those are great yeah. moments yeah that's true because then you're finding the, a authentic place together yeah, it's like the stand-up comedy people that yeah. that want to provoke and, yeah. and want to offend and want right. to get people yeah. really going, and they've taken it now to such extremes. Mm -hmm. You know, what did you see the Golden Globes this time with Ricky Gervais? I, I watched it later. You yeah, know, the next day I saw that. I I think he's funny. I like I'm I'm like it, it is mean spirited, but it's 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 funny and it's like and I, the outrage afterwards is also entertaining you know but you gotta remember it's all about money yeah saturday night live all these comedians all this stuff it's money it's what they're that's what it's all about it ain't about nothing else right. saturday night live is completely about money right Nothing else. Maybe the first year for a minute back in 75, yeah. it might have been about it. They didn't know what they were doing, and it was just fun, and it was yeah. smart people, and they got together. Yeah. It's about money. It becomes about money. That's all it is. 
Well, that's what sustains arts and crafts, man. Like yeah. Andy Warhol knew it. The, yes. all the best art is the art of making money. It's like, uh, you know. I'll tell you a good story. Okay. You know, Jean, Jean-Paul Basquiat, oh, you know that artist. Dude, he's one of my, I'll show you my paintings. He's one of my favorites. Okay, I, so. Oh, yeah, I paint, yeah. Yeah, but I would yeah. love. To. Are you, you should are, do you one. You are in. You're a painter. I forgot about. I that. would love to. I'll oh show you guys. God. I'll yes. show. I paint a lot. Okay. Yeah. Taylor will talk to you about. I'm it. as much of a painter as a musician. Perfect. Yeah. Cool. So anyway, Jean Michel Basquiat. Jean Michel. So um, I knew a woman that knew him. Yeah. I I knew him like to see him around. Like yeah. this is in again seventy nine eighty that era, around then. Yeah. Okay? And um. One day she, I had a station wagon, I had a Datsun station wagon. Mm-hmm. And one day she calls me up and she says, hey, my friend needs to move some paintings. He's moving. Mm-hmm. Like, this is like Bond Street, Great Jones Street area. Right, that's where his... Uh, I think we moved right around the block. Yeah. So we did two loads. Oh, just give me one of your paintings. We did two thing. loads in the Datsun, right? <laughs> yeah. One load, we, yeah, me and him yeah. carry the paintings up to his new place. Holy and then, shit, then dude. Another this load. is unbelievable to me, and, dude. And, um, like... <laughs> he was a nice guy. You yeah. Know, he was great. So we get done, and he goes, hey, man, you know, I, I give you a couple bucks. I said, I don't, it's cool. You're a friend of my friend Jody's. It, it's cool. Don't worry about it, you know? Right. And he goes, well, you want something? He says, I got all these art. You want? Uh, and I said, man, I really like this stuff, but I'm living in the Mayflower Hotel. Uh, what am I going to do with it? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Another good choice. Oh, my God, bro. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. They were the, the, the tall uh, ones, like about five feet tall and maybe like two feet wide. He had a bunch of those. <laughs> those were the ones that fit in my car. Real right. Good. So we probably moved 20 of those. Yeah. He said, yeah just, pick, just take one, man, if you want. That's wild. <laughs> God, when you think of that. I know. Right. Yeah. He's one of I mean, he, I went, I were, the first time I ever saw his work, because I, I never went to college, I, I just went straight from Ohio down to Atlanta and lived there for like four years with a band and just was doing my thing, selling jewelry. Playing on around his, five points. Little five points. Yeah. I lived in little five points. I, I sold jewelry on the street in little five points. There That's what go. I did. Yeah. Took, took a lot of acid. Mm-hmm. Did, never had a shirt on. Basically had hair down to here. Yeah. You know, I, was, I remember I, you, dude. Yeah, I was yeah. one of those guys. <laughs> and um, and uh, this girl I liked uh, said, hey, you want to go to Alabama to this uh, museum show? And in Alabama, it was a couple hours away, yeah. th- two, three hour drive or whatever. And I was like, to me, museum meant boring, like Renaissance art. Like I didn't, I had no <laughs> art education at all, but I, but I liked her. So I was like, okay. And so we went and it was uh, this huge Jean-Michel Basquiat retrospective of his whole life's work that Madonna had been put on, putting on. Right, right. And it was traveled around. And my, I, I, it, it was like lightning striking. I was like, you mean this? Because I had already started painting, and my painting was like looked fucked up, like it was just goofy. But I was like, you mean that can be in here? You know, like it blew my mind. I didn't know, you know, just coming from Ohio and then, and then moving down there, and uh, it was like seeing Ed, like the Beatles on Ed Sullivan for some people. I mean, I just got way into painting after that. I never stopped. You know. Tell him about our daughter. 
a little bit. We talked about the Van Gogh and yeah, the Van Gogh, yeah, going over all those European places. Yeah. And he played me Art is Sick. I played Art Sick. Well, how about that? Yeah, it's a great cool, one. Right? It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Good. Lou would be proud. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Lou would be proud. We love Lou. Oh, man, me too. Do you too. know that he was doing Tai Chi on the day he died? He was in his pool, and he he passed in such beautiful peace, but right. he literally did Tai Chi on, on his way out. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. That somber note. Well, yeah. God bless you guys, man. I yeah, love both you. of y'all. You oh. guys are awesome. We, thank we, you. Uh, man, we, thank you, David Broza. This, this is a great, great, great episode, man. So we really appreciate you. Everything you've done. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, y'all. <laughs> Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.